Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now. But I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? Get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Today, we have another very special guest joining us. Gene Park is the video game writer for Washington Post, such a reputable paper. And he's going to talk to us about what it's like to cover video games and Nintendo at the Washington Post. This is such an incredible conversation that we had with Gene. He recently had what I would say is the essential coverage of Tears of the Kingdom and really got to spend some time with those developers. It's fun to dig into him of like, what is it like trying to get to the soul of Nintendo, that soul that they rarely want to show the world? Mm-hmm. He's digging it out. He is. He's such a wonderful writer and has such a passion for the games industry, but he's also in a really interesting place because the Washington Post, like they cover a lot of real things, you know, like politics and business and government and boring things, but like life things that people care about. So he has to really navigate those challenges to bring that legitimacy to video games. He's always trying to explain to his editors, you know, like, why this is an important thing, why Tears of the Kingdom is an important cultural moment. Um, So it was such a great and interesting conversation. We're such huge fans of Gene, and we're so excited to have him on the podcast today. Exactly. Our, our, Our guest run continues. Yes. We're three a stre- in a row. streak of three in a row. I think um, the streak is ending after this, but it's been a good streak. The streak is ending because you need to tell a story about you vomiting, which is perfect. <laughs> Literally way. nobody is asking where what happened to that story or when I'm telling it because right. it sounds disgusting. And it I is. love how like we had a, a string of three like super reputable, amazing guests to only be cut off by you vomiting. So excellent. Yeah, this we, we, we were, we were going to have uh, Phil Spencer, but um, you got to make room for this big story. Yeah, yeah you got to vomit. Sorry, Phil. Um, everything we do on this channel, including a story about Kit puking, is made possible by our wonderful Patreon family. We cannot be more grateful for this amazing community. And it's truly, they are the ones making this possible. Uh, for us to continue doing this. Um, We, as you said last week, are in our Patreon exclusive era, um, which we're happy to be in. We want to continue to really um, support our community and give them special things because they're the ones keeping this going. So if you'd like to join us and get all sorts of exclusive perks, we are at patreon.com slash Krista. Yeah, and we have another uh, Patreon exclusive with producer Stephanie. If people couldn't get enough of producer Stephanie, it seems like people loved her, which is which is great because we obviously love <laughs> we her love too. We love her, yeah. Um, we have a great video of us playing some Disney Illusion Island That's with so her. Fun. That was a great yeah. time. Just hang out and play the game and talk. I know. We haven't had a chance to just hang out and play a game with producer Stephanie for a really long time. So it was like very cathartic to just kind of do what we used to do at work all the time, you know, where we would just kind of on lunch breaks and stuff, play games and and, and hang out and chat and gossip. And <laughs> it was fun. It, it really felt good. It was awesome. 
Uh, other stuff that you can get through our Patreon is early access to this very podcast and every uh, podcast episode every single week. Uh, behind-the-scenes videos, bonus Q&As, exclusive hangouts with us, a lot more stuff, so give it a look. Yeah, and I was so happy to hear um, producer Stephanie also say that our Patreon community is one of the best and most wholesome communities ever. You know, I think it's great when some someone outside of me and you notice that because it's so true. They're the most welcoming community in the world, and... Um, we just have such a great time with them every single day, whether it's on our Discord or um, in our live streams. But it just feels like a big, happy family. And I, I just love it so much. That's right. We have a new video that is out on our YouTube channel for everybody, which I hope you check out. It is us playing some eShop hidden gems, but in unexpected places. This was such a fun video. We've done videos similar to this before, but I think this is my favorite one ever because not only do we like mine the eShop for hidden gems and games that you may never have heard of before and show you these really cool games that are are there in the eShop, but we also take it one step further and go to places that are themed after each game and like just the the vibe of playing these games in these locations that the games are set in was really cool. And uh, one of the locations, I will say, is a laundromat. So you're not going to want to miss it. It is quite ridiculous. But I don't know. It felt good to play that game in a laundromat, I got to say. But shortly after we, f- we finished filming, we did get kicked out of we said did. laundromat. We did. I was filming and the the owner of the laundromat was like, you can't film in here. It was a tough day for you. Uh, You tried to salvage some of these things a couple times and each time it got thrown back in your face. So, so this, (laughs) this lady who owned the laundromat saw you filming and she was like, are you a customer here? And And I said, yes. Yes. And she was like, no, you're not get out. (laughs) She saw right through that. (laughs) I mean, what am I supposed to say? You know, we were done though. So it was fine. Yeah, it's as we were kind of packing up and leaving. Yeah. But then there was another one in sort of a garden setting um, where I guess a couple times a month, like if you were a resident of that county, you can get in for free. And it was one of those free days. So she was like, are you a resident of this county? And again, you're like, yes. And she said, <laughs> okay, show me some ID. And then you just froze. Well, I... My <laughs> and mom- then you turned to me. So like, yeah, you got it, right? It's like... I'm not trying to pull this scam. You are. My my mom lives in the county. I should have just grabbed her like. I told you this in advance. You should get your mom's like library card or something. Yeah. And they're not going to know the difference. Right. The name would be fine. Right. Um, You and I both actually do not live in that county. So that's hilarious because I live in San Francisco now and you live in San Mateo. So we do not live in Santa Clara County, which is where this thing was. Um. It's fine. We can support the garden. She did ask me for my water bill. I was like, I'm not oh, carrying around. Oh, that was funny. I'm not carrying <laughs> yeah. around like, yeah, she in went my from, purse. My she went water right bill. from, do you have your driver's license or do you have a water bill on you? It's like, oh, yes, I, I carry that with me everywhere. I literally don't go. think I've ever seen my water bill ever. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> water bill. Water bill? Like, that was seriously? Great. I think my water bill is, is looped into my like HOA in my house. So I actually don't have that ever. So I don't know. Uh, who cares, first of all? Uh, thanks for the update. But <laughs> yes, this is this is really one of my favorite things is there are so many good games on the eShop that just go, that people miss 
because there are so many games that can be hard to, you know, mine through what's good so and what's true. not. So we did that work. All four of these games are really good and really fun. Um, and I think you'll enjoy seeing them and, and hopefully you get a kick out of seeing where we went to, to show them off. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of variety as well. I don't think any of these games were sort of like the other. So whatever your cup of tea is in terms of what kind of game you're, you're feeling like playing, like I think this video has you covered. So yeah. Yeah. Really excited about it. I hope you give it a look. Yeah. And then one last little plug for our Tears of the Kingdom spoiler cast. That is up on our Patreon as an exclusive. Uh, Heard from some people who are still making their way through the game, not quite ready to indulge in a full spoiler cast. We'll be there waiting for you. Exactly. Whenever you're ready, whenever you're finished, uh, it will be there. I cannot believe some of the comments about like, oh, I've played this game for like 300 plus hours, but I haven't beaten it yet. I haven't... Um, even done some of the some of the um, the dungeons or the the story stuff yet? I'm like, dang, what are y'all doing? So For so that's I want to know. That's one of the reasons why in that game I kind of wanted to do the story stuff first because I've heard from so many people in Breath of the Wild who are like, I just got sidetracked, you know, fooling around in the world. And I never actually finished the story, and they were sort of scrambling when this new game was coming out, and then they were like, uh. It's not even worth it. I'll just go to the new game. It's like, oh no! Oh, you got so sidetracked that you missed this big important thing, and I, I, I didn't want that to happen. What? Like, I really want to know. I don't know. Can someone explain to me. Well, I mean, you played the game for almost that long, and I mean, no, you finished I played it. the game for 190 hours, but I did all the story stuff. So I did. Chorus. Yeah, like I, if you did all the shrines, all the light routes, essential side quests. I guess you can do more side quests, which will probably take some time, but not. 120 more hours. Amateur cartography in Hyrule. That could be fun. Korok seeds. Do you know what that means? Cartography, making maps. I know what that means. What if you made a handmade map as you were going through the game? Of what? Like like Lewis and Clark or something. Like that could be fun. Okay. If you didn't if you didn't hit the button to go look at the map. I think that's a great idea. That could be a that video so in the future. Hard. I don't want to do that. That's <laughs> you don't want to do it? It's like something you'd be into. That could be into that. so hard. Uh, oh step, step one, learn left from right. That's that's where that's you get hung up. That's not going to happen. Yes. Maybe you're building stuff in the game. Maybe you're like messing around with like machines yeah. and stuff. Getting that know. next viral TikTok off the ground. I want to know. I want to know. Leave it in the comments. Like if you played 300 plus hours, like many people have told me they have, and you've not beaten the game and, and done sort of all of the, the big story stuff, well, what are you doing? What am am I missing? I want to know. We are moments away from our great conversation with Gene Park, but first got to shout out our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, There are a lot of times in life where you are faced with a decision, whether it's in a personal relationship situation or professional or whatever it may be. You just need to talk to somebody to lay out your options and uh, get a read and, and talk to somebody about what the right move is. Yeah, we we dealt with this firsthand. We're actually dealing with it in this moment because we just launched a new thing for the Kit and Krista Empire. And it was um, a really uh, challenging time and we had a lot of big decisions to make. And it was the perfect thing to do to, to talk to someone that's outside of your current situation that can help you and give you some perspective. And that's what a better help therapist can help you with. 
Yes, with BetterHelp, it's entirely online. You take a short um, questionnaire to get matched up with a therapist so they can understand what you want to talk about. And then you can meet with them on video, on audio, on text. Super easy to have those conversations that just sort of, uh, you know, a couple steps away from you. Yeah, I really enjoy having the flexibility to talk to my therapist in all sorts of different ways. Whatever I'm feeling that day, you can do it with a BetterHelp therapist and it's awesome. Give it a try. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Kit and Krista today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Kit and Krista. We'll put the link right over here and in the description below. All right. Here's Jean. Today, we're super, super excited to be joined by the one and only Gene Park, games reporter at the Washington Post. Welcome, Gene, to the podcast. Didn't Krista, thanks so much for having me. Um, I know we were supposed to uh, hang out at Summer Game Fest, but I ended up not going. Uh, but uh, it's such a, it's such a, it, it's such a thrill to be here because I've just been such big fans. You know, like it's, it's a little surreal to for you guys to even acknowledge me because you know as a nintendo fan i've just been <laughs> uh, you guys were just a treehouse folks so you know, oh my gosh there's always wow. like a barrier of like distance between like 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 me and you so oh my gosh we're fans of you actually we're we're so happy that you're able to be here with us so mm-hmm. it's awesome yeah, just like when we had Jeff Grubb on uh, a couple weeks ago, we were asking ourselves as we were getting ready for this, have, have we met Gene in person? And once again, we don't know the answer to that question. Do you? We haven't met. Okay. Yeah. I don't think so either. I think we've only been talking online and stuff. And yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to catch up at Summer Game Fest, but I'm sure yeah. we'll meet up very soon in person. At Again, I'm such huge fans of you. If I met you, I would have remembered. I would be like, oh my God. I missed this. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like your star really started to ascend around like 2020 when we were in the pandemic days and we were not seeing anybody. Yeah, so that was actually when I started reporting on video games. Um, uh, that's the uh-huh. only, that, that was the time that I that I got on the scene. Um, you know, we I really only started um, reporting on games for the Washington Post in like late 2019, like October. Yeah. And and I know you've talked about like you had kind of a long path to covering games and you covered all sorts of things before then. Like what exactly was your path? That's always interesting for people to hear. Like how did they get to this point where they're, you know, covering games or part of the games industry? Sure. I can talk about that. Um, I, uh, well, I'm originally born and raised on the, 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 the U.S. territory of Guam. Uh, so real far away from from everywhere else, uh, closer, way closer to Japan uh, than than even Hawaii, right? Um, and uh, there was a paper there, and they had an internship, and uh, I was interested in writing. Um, my middle name is Eugene, actually. Uh, my my birth name, my Christian birth name is John, but Eugene was named after uh, Eugene O'Neill, the playwright. So. You know, it was always kind of like predestined that I was going to be a writer. So I, I had a huge interest in writing, like more like creative writing and poetry and stuff like that. Wow. But then there was an internship and my mom was like, you know, get your stuff together. Can we curse in this? I, I don't know. No. <laughs> okay, okay. Good, good. Please good. no. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Family I'm glad friendly. We, family uh, friendly. We settled that. Okay. So my mom was like, get your stuff together. She didn't say that. But. <laughs> and uh, uh, get your future together, figure out what you want to do. And then she said, there's an internship in the paper. And I was like, sure, why not? Um, and then I did it. And I turned out 
to uh, really enjoy it. Uh, you know, I was a real shy kid. Uh, so uh, being paid, well, I wasn't really paid, but, you know, like having a job or responsibility to force yourself to talk to people really uh, changed my personality. You know, uh, it, it, uh, uh, it helped me break out of my shell, right? So I was really grateful to, to that. And also, I was really enjoying writing. You know, I, I enjoy being published in a newspaper and everything. So I went to school at Cal State Fullerton, uh, Southern California. Um, oh, nice. And uh, that's where the F is from in, in my microphone, if you see it there. Hmm. Um, and I studied journalism there. And I uh, I worked at the school paper. I covered entertainment. And that's actually the, my first contact with Nintendo at the school paper, The Daily Titan. And I was an entertainment editor, and I wanted to focus on like all kinds of other things, but I also wanted to focus on video games because I love video games. I've been playing video games all my life. Um, so I was, uh, so I actually got in touch with Golan Harris. You know, uh, mm-hmm. for folks who don't know, Golan Harris has been Nintendo's PR firm since since I don't even know forever, forever, <laughs> like thirty years. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so you know, I was able to cover Wind Waker. I I actually got to play Wind Waker like a month and a half or like two months before release, and I actually got a copy of it. Um, and Golan Harris came to the college newsroom uh, with like a GameCube uh, that's locked. It, it looked like it was. Oh, it, yes. it was like yeah. a chastity belt. You know, I, I never, forget, <laughs> never forget the image of like this GameCube that was just like in a lock and key. In like a was, steel case. Yeah, yeah it was no a kidding. Steel case. You know? Yeah, we, we had I, that. So I won't like knock later. them out and just steal Wind Waker. <laughs> 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 um, so that was interesting. And actually, uh, the first job I ever uh, applied to out of college uh, was at Golan Harris. Oh my gosh, that's so incredible! Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't get it uh, okay. uh, because uh, one, I think they, they they told me that they promised a job to another intern of theirs, but I also got into a car accident right before my interview, so I was like all shaken up and everything. Oh. So I was like not like like at the best at my best, you know. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't a serious car accident, but it was like my first ever car accident in my life, you know. Oh man, um, well, Krista has a story of she had her wisdom teeth out before her big interview. So you both have yeah. <laughs> harrowing experiences pre-interview yeah. in common. I was like kind of like drugged up on painkillers right before my Nintendo interview, yeah. and it was awful. I was like nauseous, and so I know exactly how you're how you must have felt yeah. just not being your best and trying to go for a job that you really that you really were excited about so it's kind of rough honestly <laughs> yeah I, and i i wanted to join uh pr because uh my mentors back then were like gene you need to like not be in journalism like the, the industry is dying oh. this is in 2003 so he was like the industry is dying my wife hates me my kids hate me uh, oh my gosh. You know, like, like it doesn't pay well, you know, like you need to, you need to not do this. And I was like, okay, 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 you know. Um, and then so I tried for PR and then I didn't get it, I didn't get it. And then I didn't really have a job in California for like about seven or eight months. And I gave up and I went back to Guam. And then the, the paper there uh, who, who hired me as an intern ended up hiring me. Um, you know, long story short, I w- w- worked in Guam for three years. Uh, I covered um, uh, military. I covered education. Um, and I covered business uh, within those three years. And I was also an assistant news editor, real small paper, only five reporters. Um, and like I was like one of two editors, you know. Um, and I was only like 22, 23 at the time. Um, well, wasn't really having a good time. Uh, I ended up moving to Hawaii. Um, I had a relationship in, in Hawaii, so I ended up moving uh, there for it. 
Um, relationship didn't work out, but uh, I was determined to just move out of Guam and live in Hawaii for a bit. And I had a couple, I had some money saved up, so I was looking for a job. Um, and luckily enough, uh, there were two. There used to be two papers in Hawaii, um, and the smaller one ended up hiring me, and I ended up becoming a cost reporter, so I, I, like covering crime. Murder, mayhem, violence, uh, a lot of traffic uh, accidents uh, I would cover. Um, Is there a lot of murder and mayhem in Hawaii? Not too much, but when it <laughs> okay. happened, uh, when it happened, a lot of it is always domestic. It's always like a crime of passion. There's no like oh. rent. Well, lately there has been, I think, but like at least when I was growing up there or when I was living there, it was mostly pretty yeah. civil. But every once in a while, there'd be a, like, a, like a drug drug homicide or something like that that I had to cover. Oh, that's very different than games reporting. Yes, very, very <laughs> different like than games reporting. It's like Grand Theft Auto or something. The only games reporting I had done by that point is cover Wind Waker. That's it, you know, <laughs> which I really wanted to do because I, I, cause I was really, really excited for Wind Waker. I was not part yeah. of the, the, the Zelda uh, backlash back then. I was like, this looks cool. I love this, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so I was covering police and crime for a bit and then I got laid off during the recession in 2009. Uh, ended up getting hired back again and I gladly accepted the job again and I ended up covering traffic and transportation and like infrastructure issues for a couple of years. Um, and then I switched to uh, being uh, an online producer because I, I really wanted to, well, I got, being laid off was traumatizing, right? So I really wanted to kind of diversify my skill set and like, I, re I remember what my editor told me, my mentor told me, he was like, journalism dying, you need to like figure it out, you need to get out of here. So I was like, well, I'm already in journalism, so... Let me diversify my skill set. So I w went into online production. Um, I was really like the first like reporter in Hawaii who was like using social media for reporting. So whenever there was like a murder or a traffic accident, I would be tweeting. You know, and that's how and that's how I got my start on Twitter. And that's how I started to gain a following because uh, you know everyone in Hawaii was like, you know, oh, you want to know why traffic's jammed up? Follow Gene or oh, Gene's at this trial over here. Uh, go follow it. He's and he's li live updating everything that's going on at the trial. Um, but so I started to go into online production and then I left the paper that, that laid me off uh, to uh, work in government for about a month and a half because I, I really gave I really gave up my journalism. I was like, this like I'm not going anywhere. Like I can't I can't like get hired. My dream job was at the L.A. Times, you know, um, and I can't get hired there. They won't call me back. Um, so let me just work in government and PR for a bit to, again, diversify my skill set. Um, and then a small startup uh, that's that's owned by Pierre Omidyard, uh, the founder of eBay. Uh, he lives in Hawaii too. Uh, he was uh, he had a small startup that was investigative news and all, like all online only, so like very like progressive in terms of like digital digital media. Um, and he says he was like, "Hey, I, we heard you're the best in social media in in the state, so we lo we'd love to hire you." So uh, you know, after my government job for like a month and a half, I just quit, and I was like, "Okay, maybe this is my last chance in journalism." If I work in a small place and I can make a difference uh, in what I really want to do, which is like, you know, social media engagement, community management, um, uh, then I can make a, make a name for myself somewhere else. So I stayed for about a year and a half and I did a really good job. I increased traffic in the website by like 524%. Um, you know, I started a whole revenue stream of doing like live events. Uh, again, I was an engagement person and community manager. So I really wanted to just like start hosting live events, podcasts, live streaming, all that stuff. And then that work impressed the Washington Post. And then I ended up uh, working as a audience editor and a community manager for the Washington Post for from 2015 to 2019. And part of my job as an audience editor was uh, 
advising sections on what to do, right? And advising editors on what to do. And uh, at the at, during 2019, early 2019, they wanted to do an esports section um, because uh, some billionaires, local D- DC billionaires, started investing a lot in esports, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, "We can't miss uh, this beat." And as an audience editor, I recommended to them, esports is a pretty narrow lane. Uh, there's not a lot of coverage for it. I don't think there's a, a big future for coverage for it. Um, I, I, the smarter play would be to broaden out the coverage and cover video games overall. And they thought about that, and they were, and then they looked at the landscape, and they're like, "Oh, I guess Gene's right." And I was right. Look, look at all the esports uh, 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 sites uh, shutting down. Right. So um, true. It's, it's it's terrible, but uh, you know I, I knew that like a lot of esports teams already have their own like media outfit going on, you know. So you know a lot of esports fans are looking to uh, uh, the organizations uh, for news, you know. And so there's not a lot that we can break on the esports side, unless it's like investigative. But how often can you really do that? You can't you can't have a whole site around investigating esports, you know. Um, so I said we should just cover video games overall, and then, and then they pivoted. And they said, well, now we need to hire. And they said, well, well Gene's here already. Um, so, and he seems to know a lot about it. And I was like, I, I, I do. And so I just, I, I didn't even really get hired. There was, no pro- there was no process. I just switched over from my, from my team to, to video games. Just um, happened. And so, so now you're doing the video game coverage full time. Yeah, yeah. So you're then no we started Launcher uh, in, in yeah. late 2019. And that's when, again, like you said, a lot of people started to, to, to know me. Um, and, you know, my, I, was, I started tweeting and talking about video games even before that, because I really wanted to pivot away from like political coverage that I was doing. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, as an audience editor and the Washington Post is famous for its political coverage, I worked a lot with our politics right. team. You know, I, I covered the 2016 election. I was at the the last debate between Trump and Clinton in Las Vegas, uh, which was an absolute nightmare. You know, like probably the worst day of, of my life in terms of work. You know, oh, sounds uh, rough. Still, you know? <laughs> it's not playing one waker. Let me tell you, no, it's not playing Tears of the Kingdom early. That's for sure. Right, you know? right. Well, I want to ask you a question that maybe you've asked yourself, which is like you just alluded. Like the Washington Post is one of the most reputable papers in the world covering politics, like real serious hard news stuff like when you talk to your colleagues at the paper who are covering these different disciplines do you get the sense that they take your work seriously uh that's a great question and yeah sometimes yes and sometimes no Uh, oftentimes no uh and my colleagues are they don't they don't know what twitch is and i'm not even talking about like the older folks these are the younger like i'm 40 i'm 42 uh as of tomorrow um, and these are folks younger than me. These, these are guys, these are guys that are like 29 and like, I don't understand. I don't know what Twitch is, or I've never heard like a, a Drake song before. Like, that's how, like, that's how tunnel vision some of these folks are. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what, what a Kanye West is or something. You know? <laughs> um, so, like, I'm not even talking about like, they don't understand games. Like there's a lot about like the wider pop culture that they're just not yeah. like in tap to. And like that was part of like the the reason why I was hired as an engagement editor because I'm I'm in tune to a lot of that stuff so I can tweet about that stuff like I I, I started our Reddit uh, uh, program and in on Reddit like I was brand on Reddit so I I would always making be making like huge pop culture references and that's how I ended up l- 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 getting to know a lot of like uh, game creators because I would always like be referencing like the game Grumps or or, or some other folks you know. Um, 
but yeah, uh, to answer your question, uh, for the most part, uh, a lot of people don't understand, and that, that's so for, to catch people up. We had we launched Launcher in 2019. I never liked the name Launcher. It's it's not. I I think we should have just been called Washington Post Gaming. That was my advice. But it was the business section that wanted to have like a, a separate like vertical to sell to advertisers, right? Um, but at least within Launcher, I had a team that understood games, that, that understood what I was writing about. And now they all got laid off at the very beginning of this year, January. The whole team was gone, uh, about five or seven people. Um, and I was the only person kept. Uh, so now I'm the only person covering games in the Washington Post. And I have a team of editors who don't really know a lot about gaming. So a, a lot of my time is just kind of explaining, you know, here's why Zelda is important, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, can yeah. you imagine that? Like explaining what, what, why Zelda is important, you know? Yes. Well, well, don't feel bad because there's a lot of people at Nintendo who don't really understand what Twitch is either. So yeah, <laughs> it's out bad. there. <laughs> yeah, you, you were kind of talking about this a little bit before. And just right now you were talking about, you know, layoffs and things like that. Do you still get that sense that you had when you were, you know, sort of working your way through the journalist um, your journalist career path where it's like, oh my gosh, like danger, this is going to go away. And yes. do you still feel that sense of, sense of sort of stress yeah, around yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the fact that my entire section blew up around me and I was, just, I was the only survivor. Well, I mean, one other yeah. person was kept, um, but um, the whole, the fact that my whole section just blew up around me, like I have survivor's guilt uh, mm-hmm. in more ways than yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't stopped, you know, uh, the, the media is still in trouble after 20 years, you know, we still haven't figured it out. Um, you know, really the only, uh, papers that are doing well are the New York times and then the Washington post and the wall street journal. That's it. You know, uh, maybe some other papers like the Minneapolis star tribune or, or, or somewhat are, are doing okay. But the LA times, my dream paper, the place that I want to go, they're they're struggling, and I actually interviewed there, and it didn't work out. You know, I I, I was like, oh, am I actually going to get a job at the LA Times? But I was work, already working at the Washington Post, so they were trying to steal me away from the Washington Post, and it didn't it didn't the, those talks never went anywhere because it just it was just better for me to stay at the Post. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something I really appreciate about you is you're very open in talking about what's happening in the media space that that people who read these publications might not know about at all. And, I, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering, in specific to games, for people covering games, like is there anything like a, a trend happening that you've noted that again people may not know about, but does impact the final result of what they're seeing or reading? Huh, that's a good question. I think. I mean, I think the trends are are fairly obvious to a lot of readers. Uh, you can tell by the headlines. You can tell by what they cover. Uh, that a lot of it is based on SEO, um, and algorithms. Um, and uh, that's always the short term stuff, right? I I think the trend is that a lot of companies, you know, like for you see the owners of like Giz- Gizmodo and Kotaku, um. Uh, Gawker Media or whatever, uh, they 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 wanted to publish articles in AI, so they're looking to cut a lot of short term costs and make a lot of short term uh, profit. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, as a media observer, as someone who's been observing the industry for a long time, like I think that's really the wrong way to go about it because that's what we've been doing for the last twenty years is trying to chase like short term uh, uh, profits and short term trends. You know, uh, th- there is a whole quote unquote pivot to video. 
uh, back in like 2016 and 2017 uh, when uh, everybody when Facebook was telling us video 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 you have to have video and this was when Facebook was a real uh, a traffic hose for a lot of news sites it's no longer anymore uh, just recently they said that there's not gonna be any news in Canada period on Facebook um, uh, and that's because Facebook or meta doesn't want to uh, share revenue with, with other companies um, so you see a lot of uh, short-term trends um, and it's really a shame and I don't understand why people don't see it because like that's what happened to BuzzFeed look at look at what happened look, look at what happened with vice you know BuzzFeed and vice are were, were two places that, that you know even I thought were going to be la- lasting forever I really wanted to work at BuzzFeed you know uh, along with the Washington Post I was applying to well I was applying to everywhere I was applying to BuzzFeed <laughs> I applied to I applied to mashable you know uh, even though I don't really know what they do anymore um and uh but i thought buzzfeed and vice were going to last forever and you know like vice has had has had numerous layoffs he's laid off their entire gaming team too there uh buzzfeed just just doesn't have news anymore period you know it's just it's just all listicles and fun articles and stuff now um and that was the money maker uh again it's all short-term stuff so there's no like long-term solution for news um and we can get more into like why you know where i think how I think that's changed, but yeah, I, I think that's, I, I feel like the trends would be pretty obvious for people to see um, because so much of our work is public as journalists, you know? Yeah. So we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about what our experience was working in, in marketing and PR at Nintendo of how we would work with media mm-hmm. on, on different things. I'm curious, can you just tell people from your perspective as the media what is it like when you get a bit approached by Nintendo about an opportunity? And I, you can use Tears of the Kingdom of an, as an example because you really had like the most essential coverage Access, on yeah. that game mm-hmm. from the point that they started showing it off to the point when it came out. And mm-hmm. even after that, like it was absolutely fantastic. So maybe you can just take our, our viewers and listeners through what it's like having that ongoing discussion with Nintendo about these things. That's great. That's a great question. Well, let me ask you guys real first. Were you guys working under Nintendo directly or were you guys under Golden Harris? We were at Nintendo. At Nintendo. Yeah. You were yeah. Nintendo employees. Awesome. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, I work through Golden Harris still, right? Um, which, which is so funny because like this is a company that I've been, I've known about for like such a, like half my life, literally you now at this point, you know? Um, and uh, what was it like covering like Tears of the Kingdom? Tears of the Kingdom is such a good example. Um, you know, they told me, they gave me a heads up a couple of weeks ahead that they said there's going to be an opportunity in New York to come over and play. And it's going to be in like this fancy little penthouse um, in, in, a, in a skybox with like roof to floor windows to evoke, you know, the sky imagery that, you're, that, that we're in the sky playing, playing Tears of the Kingdom, you know. Um, and I was like, that's cool. And so I had to pitch my editors again, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, we should really cover Zelda like, like a lot. And they were like, like, why should we do more than one story? And I was like, because this is going to be the biggest <laughs> oh, game of no. the year. This is going to be the game of the year, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's going to, it's going to sell a lot. And a lot of people are going to be talking about it. Trust me. Um, so once I was able to kind of like get that approved to, to travel to New York, um, from DC, I live in Washington, DC. Um, so it's not too far. It's just a three and a half hour train ride away. Uh, you know, uh, I was able to plan to, 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 to be there, to, to, to know what to expect. Um, I knew how much time I was going to have with the game. So I was able to kind of like plot out like what kind of like what my preview coverage would look like. 
Um, and then after, like while I was there, like they, they told me like, hey, you know, like just, uh, just just keep it on download. But you know, I think we might have an opportunity for you to speak with AG Anuma. Uh, back in New York again. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess I have to come back here again then, you know, that's interesting. Um, and then, so we did the preview coverage and then uh, for the longest time, uh, I, I actually heard nothing about Anuma at the opportunity about Anuma. It wasn't until like the week of, they said, okay, you're confirmed and we can come. And it was, it, was, it came wow. together real last minute, which I was a little surprised because I, you know, before Nintendo has been pretty good about um, figuring things out. But I feel like, uh, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that it coincided with like the launch over the Nintendo NYC store, right? Uh, you see the hat. I actually <laughs> bought the hat uh, during that night. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I, I told Nintendo, I was like, hey, I, I don't want just like an interview with like Anuma and uh, uh, Fujibayashi-san, you know? Um, I want to make this like a, a nice, prettier profile I, I want i want to bring a photographer i want to bring a washington post photographer i don't want to just show pictures of like mug shots and like like stills of like like anuma i want a fresh photo of him and like like a nice portrait photo of him and uh yeah they were able to work it out they, they said yeah so you, the, the photographer will have like five minutes you know to, to, to do it um so i i warned her in advance that you know this is nintendo so they're gonna be like really chop 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 you know it's gonna be like this 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 you know um, and sure enough, uh, yeah, we only had like five minutes. So she she was like, she was like, okay, pose by the window, and then like like like, and Anuma was like, was like, okay, I guess we'll do this, you know. And it, and they weren't really sure what it was doing, what she was doing. And I was like, oh, it's like the Beatles, like the Beatles, you know, like with the shadow and everything, like standing next to each, to each other. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, they understood that, you know. <laughs> and then they started having more fun with it. Um, and yeah, so uh, you know, I went to the hotel uh, to speak with Anum San. Met with a photographer. Uh, met with someone from PR. I forget his name, but I met Eddie Garcia, who's uh, uh, over in Golan Harris. He was there, and Doug Bowser was actually there too, uh, president of Nintendo. Uh, he actually just stopped in to get a snack. Uh, and, <laughs> and but the whole room stopped, and they're like, "There's Doug." And I was like, oh, Doug. That was the first time I, I was meeting Doug too. Um, and, you know, I, I want to say a kind word about Doug Bowser. Uh, he was, uh, you know, for folks who don't know, I was uh, sick with cancer last year. And uh, he messaged me privately to uh, really, really good words of encouragement. I want to say what he says, as he said. But, you know, he's, he, what, what he said to me really kept me going. So it, it, was, it was really, really nice to finally be able to meet Doug um, and, you know, this kind man. Uh, you know, never mind that he's president of Nintendo. He was just he was just a good person to to me. So it was really nice to to finally meet him. Um, and then yeah, I spoke to Anumisan for like forty five minutes. Um, I really wanted to uh, you know it, Nintendo really wanted to focus uh, the interview on the game itself um, because as I understand it, you know Anuma and Nintendo itself doesn't want to make it too much about the creators. But I wanted to like not do that, and I wanted to, to focus more on Anuma and how he's thinking and Fujibayashi-san too. If I had more time, I, I would have focused more on Fujibayashi-san. But you know, as I understand it, he's still he's still got a lot more time, and he's probably going to be the next Zelda creator versus Anuma, who is you know who's been doing this for the last twenty years since Wind Waker. You know, um, so it, it it felt like for me personally, it felt like full circle. You know, like I started with covering Wind Waker uh, in games. And now here I am, and I'm covering Tears of the Kingdom. I was like, yes, I'm still, I'm still covering a Zelda game, man. It's awesome. So it was. Not, so I'm really glad that you to to hear that you thought that my coverage was was so thorough, because like I wanted it to feel like that, and that's 
what I wanted to accomplish. So it's gratifying for, for to, to hear you say that. Well, I think that piece uh, with your interview from them and the pieces from that—that's uh, probably the best individual piece of, of games writing I've I've seen all year, and I probably read that yeah. a dozen times. And I I, I want to follow up on that and ask you—you you did a great job of sort of picking up on so, sort of the smaller signals, like Mister Aonuma, like groaning as he sat down, like mm-hmm. the relationship between Aonuma and Fujibayashi. Like, did you observe anything interesting about the way that those two were interacting? Uh, that's a good question. I do. I, I don't know if I really found anything particular. Uh, they seem very friendly, um, but you know, they, they were pretty buttoned up. Um, Anoma-san was was a little bit more uh, relaxed and everything. Fujibayashi-san seemed like he was definitely more more buttoned up and. Yeah, and well, he's new. Up. You know, he's new to sort of this kind of media tour and all that. That's right. Stuff. That's right. Yeah, and Anoma seems it. like a real grizzled. He's veteran real seasoned. Like, yeah. yeah, and he has. He's very. He he has one of the best personalities I think of the Nintendo developers because he's just very like roll of the punches and like he said very relaxed and mm-hmm. he, he knows what what he's doing he's been yeah 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 they, he you yeah. know like even like, later that night at the the launch of tears at the nintendo new york store you know uh on the was like waving at, at the crowd and everyone everyone yeah. was waving back so like he knows like his, his star power and he's able to to wield yeah, it yeah. Uh, in certain type of way you know yeah but you're right i think fujibayashi-san is sort of the the next rising star at Nintendo. We certainly saw that when we were working with him on mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild. And that's when we first got to know him and, and started to understand his, his thought process and all the, you know, all of the stuff that he was, you know, responsible for, for both tears and for Breath of the Wild is like really like what you are playing. You know, he is the one that designed like all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty incredible that um, I think it's great that Nintendo has put him alongside uh, Mr. Anuma to give him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really nice to to have uh, both of them uh, there. You know, uh, like I was able to get a full picture of, of what it was like to get to develop the game. Yeah. Um, and yeah, writing that piece uh, took a while. You, you know, uh, I wasn't the only person who had in, who had an interview opportunity with, with them, right? Um, and every other site uh, published that day or the next day, right? Um, I don't want I don't want to be in that game of, of, of having to, to to you know I'm older so so I've already like broken stories I've already like rushed so much you know I the, the paper in Hawaii was an afternoon paper so I used to work at 5 a.m and I have to finish my stories by like 11 or at the latest you know um, so I'm a fast writer but uh, for this one I wanted to take my time with it Um you know, also we had to process the photos, and uh, we wanted to make sure that it had like a nice print uh, presence too. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to take my time writing it. I just want—I didn't want to just plaster it on a page and say, "Here's a Q and A." You know, I, I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to tell a narrative. You know, and like, I think that yeah, really like you showed. said, also, like I wanted to point out like the small, the s- small things about that. I wanted to, to extract as much information and detail as I can from the from the limited time I had. You know. Yeah, I, I think that care that you took to craft that story was really incredible. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about like how if media and especially games media kind of focuses on chasing the trends and, and really only looking at the short term, it it's it's only going to cause, you know, more of that loss. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your your way of of um, you know, really caring for a story and, and really putting a, a very unique perspective on it. And, and um, I think that kind of shows like how it can work really well if you do it the other way, if you like 
focus on more of that long-term storytelling and narrative, how much of an impact that can make, because that really showed in, in your coverage in particular. We didn't see that in any, anyone else's coverage that just, you know, printed stories the next day, because it was very much like a sort of cut and dry kind of like, I'm just going to break whatever news mm-hmm. with um, the devs that I had. You yeah, know, and so not, not to say that other, any other pieces were bad or anything like that, uh, but right, right, you know, right. I just, I, I what I really wanted to do is, I wasn't really about the interview, I wanted to make a connection with the reader, between a connection between Aonuma and the reader, between me and the reader, between me and Aonuma. I think that the, that's the path forward for media, you know, especially in, in, in games media, you know, uh, that's something that AI can't replicate, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about like, you know, people writing for like, you know, the, the, the Google search algorithm and like, you know, the TikTok algorithm and everything like that. I, I'm I'm a social media editor guy. I'm, I'm a social media professional. You know, I used to run a, co- a communication company where I would advise social media. I'm tired of, of, of working for algorithms. You know, I'm tired of working for, for, for numerical formulas. I want to work for humans, you know. So that, that that's kind of like where I'm at right now, at least in my stage of career. I want I want I don't want to write for an algorithm. I want to write for a human. Yeah. As someone who is capable of telling these very human stories about like the developers behind the games and sort of the deeper stories behind the games, do you have any feelings about this shift from Nintendo of pulling developers back a bit and you know let the game speak for itself? That's something that happens sort of later in our tenure, and we thought it was a real shame because there's this whole other layer of fascinating information that might not ever come out. Yeah, you know, uh, that's such a great point. Uh, N- Nintendo is has been pulling back, but sometimes they're okay. Like they gave me uh, access to uh, the Metroid creator uh, for for coverage of Metroid Dread. That was nice, and even for Mario's big anniversary a couple years ago, like I was able, it, it was able to interview uh, you know Koizumi and and you know uh, Miyamoto-san, and so you know it was all through email, but still, you know, um, but. To your point, it's so important for like historical preservation and like you know historical learning. Um, there's so much that everybody can learn from, from Nintendo. That's why it's so fascinating that Sakurai is just like speaking his mind and just saying whatever yeah, he wants on YouTube. That's awesome. Um, because that's just so different, you know. Um, and it's, it's valuable work. Um, you know, I just finished reading uh, uh, a book, an autobiography, Doom Guy: A Life in First Person, uh, written by John Romero, uh, the one half of the creators of Doom. And, you know, he says in the book that part of the reason why he's writing the book is because, you know, like it's important for people to know uh, what happened in history and to, to, to learn from it, you know. And it would be important for other developers to learn from. It'd be important for other media to learn from. And so that's always been a problem with Nintendo, that they seem to have a, an issue with really, you know, honoring and preserving your legacy uh, besides like re-releases and everything, you know. Uh, uh, so so much of what they do is sometimes uh, uh, honors that legacy and sometimes doesn't. So it's really really touch and go, uh, and it's it seems like they're still trying to find a balance on on what to do. But I would encourage them to to give us more access and let their developers talk more because it seems you know I don't know if they it, it, they might not want to talk more. You know, maybe they are shy, uh, but. Uh, you know, whenever we can, it's it's fascinating to learn more about it. You know, yeah. I, I I felt privileged to learn more about Anuma and, and and how he was thinking as he was developing uh, and producing Tears of the Kingdom. I do think the developers want to talk more, and and oftentimes they are not, um, 
even like brought the opportunity because it's on the business side, you know, the Nintendo business team is very sensitive to putting different faces to the Nintendo brand. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that has gotten more and more strict. And we saw this literally happening in real time as we were um, at, you know, sort of our last couple of years at the company, the, the way that the company sort of pulled back on that, we would bring them so many opportunities to let this, the developers share their personal perspectives mm-hmm. and, um, and there was not an appetite for that. So That's that right. I imagine that, that you guys were trying yeah. to do the same, you know, because you, yeah, you're, yeah. you're creating content on your show, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I imagine that you guys were trying to plan for for some of that and didn't really get it. You know, I one of my favorite pieces of content was when you guys visited uh, the Kyoto HQ, um, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God, they're at the Kyoto HQ. What are we going to find out?" And nothing. then we find out not nothing. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we were in the lobby. I was like, "Yes, Kit and Krista, give us nothing because <laughs> like, there's like nowhere you can go. There's a prayer room at the bottom, the, t- the tea room, yeah. and you the lobby. You saw every angle of that lobby. Yeah, yeah that's every right. angle of that lobby." Everywhere else we went, we couldn't film, obviously. But don't worry, you're not missing much. It's just a wedding. <laughs> well, that that was one of the the fascinating things uh, the, uh, of uh, Reggie Fizamay's uh, book too. Uh, a lot of book talk. Yeah. But he mentioned how when he would visit the HQ, he would still have to sign in, and he would yeah. still need a badge, and he would still need to be escorted around. And I was like, mm-hmm. dude, that's Reggie, the president of Nintendo, and he's he's a visitor, a tourist in his own company. Yeah, That's you might wild. need to be escorted around because you, it's very easy to get lost there because uh, everything is just white, like a hospital. Yeah. And every time you go to the bathroom, just looking for the bathroom. Yeah, I'm like, where am I? <laughs> I'm lost again. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, but it's true. It it is very um sort of you know at times very monolithic, and then you get these bright bursts of incredible inspiration from the development team that sort of are embodying this magic and. Mm-hmm. It's always a privilege when we get to see that come to life. And I'm so glad that you were able to experience that too. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I'd i love to get a look at the offices. You know, like Hideo Kojima is always, is 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 famously always documenting everything he does, you know. And we, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I know what his office looks like. I feel like I can navigate my way around Kojima Productions because we've seen so much of it in, in indoors already, you know. I wanted to uh, follow up on your point about you saying you had to really sell your editor on the idea of doing all this Zelda coverage. In the end, as much as you can share, like, was that paid off? Was there, you know, the reader interest that will hopefully result in more of this sort of coverage in the future? It did pay off. Uh, uh, All three stories that I did, uh, I think I did three main stories, preview, uh, review, and interview. Um, They all did really well in traffic-wise. And, uh, you know... I don't want to slag off my editors too much. Uh, part of the part of the reason why the writing came off so well is because, you know, they may not know a lot about video games, but they do know know a lot about writing and, and editing. So they did help my writing and editing uh, just sing a little bit more. So and I've thanked them for that too uh, because I I see that work happening and so I'm, and I'm grateful for it. So even though like I can't talk to them about frames per second or you know uh, uh, the, like the streaming technology of of, of Hyrule and everything. Uh, you know, uh, they, they they were able to help my writing, but yeah, the, the the traffic dividends paid off. Uh, they were real happy. It was it was a really well read story. Uh, even our executive editor Sally Busby even sent me a note and says, "Hey, I really really enjoyed that story." You know, um, so the top brass at the Washington Post is reading my stuff too. So um, that's that's great. You know, and I've I've been there for like eight years, so you know, I would hope that they know who I am. And they, they do. You know, like you know, Jeff Bezos owns our paper. And he actually knows me by name, which is interesting, you know. Wow. So, wow. 
You mentioned your conversation with with Doug Bowser, and and that doesn't surprise us. That's absolutely the kind of person that Doug is, and we, we hope more people can come to see that yeah. uh, in the future about Doug. So but, kind, yeah. But I, I did want to ask you about your your fight with cancer recently, and I'm I'm so curious about did did going through that experience change your relationship with games? Mm. I sort of thought about that, and I put myself in your shoes where, you know, the future may be uncertain. And I just, I, I don't know if like, w- would I find that to be an effective use of my time with mm-hmm. that sort of uncertainty hanging over me? So mm-hmm. I'm so curious to, to, to know if, if you went through that thought process at all. I absolutely did. Uh, and it's interesting that you said that you don't know if that would be like the best use of time. I was like, I have to play all the games that I can, you know? Cause, right. Cause, because I, I was very, I was faced with the very real reality that I was going to die in a, in a limited amount of time. I was, I never got. Uh, thank goodness, I never got like a like a like a life expectancy type of stuff. They were like, we're not at that conversation yet, so don't worry about it. So there was, I, I did almost die when I went to the ER. Like that was that that, that was the the issue that I was that I had no treatment and I, I needed treatment right away. But once I got that treatment, uh, they were like, okay, well now we can start getting you back on your feet. Yeah. You know? Uh, but uh, obviously, still, uh, it changed uh, my relationship with morality, with life itself. And uh, the funny thing is that, yeah, I just wanted to play more games. I was like, I gotta make it Tears of the Kingdom, you know. I told Doug that I was, I, I told Doug that it was really important that I made it for Tears. I really needed to play Tears, you know. Um, and I did, and I'm fine, you know. And I, I and hopefully, I can make it to the next Zelda game, you know. Um, but in terms of my relationship with games. Uh, Honestly, the the funny thing that I'm realizing now is that a lot of the games that I did play while I was sick, I have a hard time returning to, um, mm-hmm. because it reminds me of the time when I was very very sick and I was having basically you know the worst time anyone can have in their life, you know. Um, but I was playing a lot of Sonic Frontiers, you know, and I played it obsessively. And now when I try to pick up Sonic Frontiers, I can't. I Sonic the Hedgehog reminds you of cancer. Like it's, it's it really sucks to say, but like he, he does. Like I, I'm looking forward to Sonic Superstars, a new experience, right? So now I am I'm I'm finding a lot of joy in games that I enjoyed before I knew any of that. You know, um, games like Diablo three or like the older Zelda or even Tears of the Kingdom, which is at least a, a new experience. You know, I I played I've already played like 300 hours of Tears probably. You know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, in terms of like how much I want to spend my time, I, I have a, a, an existential crisis about dying and then realizing that more Mario games are going to come out after I die. Like I was like, Nintendo is not going to stop making Mario games and I'm, and I'm upset that death is going to stop me from playing them all eventually, you know? Um, so that's, that, that is a very real existential thought that I have. Uh, and this was before I even had cancer. I, like, like this was a thought that I always had, and it was sp- always specifically Mario, where I was like, I can't not play every Mario game, you know. But eventually, I won't be able to, and that sucks, you know. So that that's kind of where I'm at, you know. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your, you know, really in real time experience going through that, because I think yeah. that helped a lot of people and gave a lot of people a lot of perspective and, and couldn't have been easy from, from your part to do so. Yeah. There was a lot um, of my, about my treatment that I didn't even talk about publicly because I'm still not comfortable. Uh, I was yeah, basically disabled. Uh, there was a lot going on with my body 
that you know I don't don't even feel feel comfortable talking about because it was mm-hmm. it's it's uncomfortable for me to even think about you know yeah uh, and the fact that I even lived through it it's just awful and it's like I still need to go to therapy for all that um, but I don't know how much how effective therapy is going to be because you know that's I'm still like processing everything so right now I'm really uh, my therapy has been work I, I enjoy going back to the office I think a lot of people see that I'm at the newsroom a lot. Uh, you know, the hustle and bustle, bustle in the newsroom keeps me busy, you know, talking to my colleagues and coworkers keeps me busy. Um, and again, playing new games keeps me busy too, you know. Well, last question then is what what are the games uh, besides Tears of the Kingdom that you're really enjoying at the moment? Uh, that's a great question. I am finally, finally enjoying Octopath Traveler. Oh. Yeah. Um, this, it came out in 2018, right? And the first one. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I keep hearing how good 2 is. It is really – oh, I haven't played 2, but the first one is really good. Yeah, I keep hearing about how how much – how excellent 2 is. Like, it could be a, a game of the year for this year. And I'm like, okay, well, if 2 is really that good, I feel like I have to earn my way to 2. You know, uh, even though if they're, they're not connected, I, I want to know what, I, what, what 2 improves on from 1. And I'm loving 1. And the reason why is because I – you know, JRPGs, they're very uh, – uh, uh, they're very, you know, a little bit difficult to get into. And Octopath Traveler has like the boosting mechanic and like the the weaknesses and everything like that. All that stuff. I was re- just really not in the mood for for playing a JRPG at the time of its release. So when it wasn't just like a simple turn based action, you fight, I fight. It, it, when it wasn't that, then I got kind of turned off. And like you know, the 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 the, the, the disconnected nature of the story uh, kind of turned me off. So I just like hop, hopped off it, but now I'm I'm back in it, and I'm really Final Fantasy 16 really got me in a in a JRPG mood because I it really made me miss uh, the old style of, of games. I me love too. Final Fantasy, right? <laughs> yeah. But I was, but it, it kept making me think because it's very evocative of the older Final Fantasies too. So it kept making me think of older Final Fantasies, and I was like, I really want to play an older Final Fantasy, but I just played them all uh, recently, you know. Uh, so I thought, well, Octopath Traveler is right there, and I should probably try it again. And because I just played like older games like Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3, those games were like not really a lot of story. Octopath Traveler's disjointed nature story make, makes a lot more sense to me, or it's at least a lot more palatable because I, I'm, I play those older games and it's like, okay, this feels like an older game, anyways, you know? And it's it, it, just because it looks pretty doesn't mean that it needs to be like Final Fantasy 6 level of story, you know? Um, and That's then, the best story, though. <laughs> yeah, and then it just goes to show again, like how uh, you know your mood can change things. I'm actually in a mood to learn uh, Octopath Traveler systems, and now I get it. And now it's, I find I find it gratifying and, and exciting, and and, uh, and you know I, I can master it. I can just like whip bosses into not them not doing anything. So I completely understand. It's it's been a blast. So been playing that, and uh, I recently I, I recently just watched John Wick Four. Uh, oh. and uh, in that movie they have a top-down uh, shooting sequence uh, that's uh, that a lot of people cite is is inspired by Hotline Miami, but it's actually inspired by a much smaller game, Hong Kong Massacre, uh, which is obviously in, inspired by Hotline Miami. But uh, Hong Kong Massacre came, came out in 2019, and that was the game that the director cited as the inspiration for that scene. So I'm actually so I actually bought it on the eShop for 2.99 uh, a couple nights ago. And uh, it's actually really addictive. So, you know, it's actually, it's actually really good. I'm going to have to look this. that one up. I hadn't yeah, heard of that one, one, but I like Hotline Miami. It's, it's real, yeah. like, like, it's a little janky. It's real indie. So uh, right now there's a, there's a deal on the eShop 
uh, I think until August 15th. So if listeners, if you want to do, uh, you can buy Splatter, Zombie Apocalypse, another the, the whatever indie game, and Hong Kong Massacre for two ninety nine, or you wow. can buy Hong Kong Massacre yeah. by itself for twenty for twenty dollars, which is weird. And I was like, wait a minute, I get this other zombie game for three dollars versus only getting Hong Kong Massacre for twenty dollars. I was like, this doesn't seem right. And I just dove in. I was like, what's three dollars? And it turns out, yeah, that, that's just how the deal works. You can just buy Hong Kong Massacre for like a dollar fifty, basically. So. Hmm. You know, but yeah, it looks exactly like it does in John Wick Four. So that's the, that's the cool part. Yeah, Krista, I know just finished Final Fantasy last, last night. night. Oh, and it's, it, but it's amazing how like you can get on like a run where it's like, all right, I'm I'm just doing JRPGs now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it definitely. I had the same exact feeling you did. The the game was amazing. I loved it, but the battle system it just made me kind of miss the traditional, you know, Final Fantasy battle systems a little bit because sometimes sometimes the battles were a little over the top but um yeah yeah great game i loved it at a certain point i just stopped thinking in final fantasy 16 yeah me too (laughs) i just went with it you know yeah i'm just like okay i'm just like bash 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 icon powers icon powers you know exactly Um, yeah you know and the story the story got me really tired like you know know, i did a whole review on it but like it was really the second half of the story that kind of like left me feeling a little bit wanting more you know ended really strong though the ending was cool i thought the ending was great i really enjoyed the ending um a lot of people said that the ending turned them off, but I, I actually didn't mind the ending. I, I do agree with you that there are some elements in the second half of the story that felt a little lazy. Like, oh, you know, this is just like an easy way to have a bad guy kind of thing. Um, it's, a, it's the same story again, man. It's a, <laughs> like, just, I was like, wow, this is, it's really the same Final Fantasy story over again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, they had a good thing for 16 Final Fantasy. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jean, this was an incredible conversation. You feel like part of the Kit and Krista family, and we would love to have you back sometime in the future. Yeah, Yeah, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm I'm so glad to chop it up with you guys, too. And we're back. Every time. I'm always, like, (laughs) shook. Well, the interview ends and we come back. do Do you like or dislike that I've been starting these conversations with the question, have we met? I do like it because sometimes I don't know the answer. <laughs> I, I don't know, which is why I want to ask. I get like fuzzy because I feel like I know a lot of people, but it's because we have such like a consistent online conversation or presence. Like it, it's sort of, this is like a, a scary dystopian pu- future where maybe we never meet in person with anyone ever again and everything is robots and, and social media. Who knows? You have fallen um, victim to parasocial relationships. Yeah. Like yeah. Jim Park is my best friend. Exactly. He just is, right? I know. It's but like I've, I've never known met him. him my whole life, Gene Park. <laughs> like we we are like family, um, but maybe not. Anyways, yeah, it's good. I, I hope that we do get to meet Gene Park in person um, sometime soon. I, I'm I'm sure we will. Uh, but it was such an enlightening conversation. I'm I so admire Gene in so many ways. You know, he's obviously just such a, a talented writer. He certainly has so much passion for what he does, and he's had a really challenging road and he's always you know been so positive and and so you know open and and just sharing his experiences with everyone like that is such an incredible thing that he he does so yeah he really is an open book in ways that you know sometimes are not easy um because sometimes you know people may or may not like uh the perspectives that you're sharing but yeah he's always down to have that conversation it seems like something that he really thrives on so yeah fascinating uh, chance to, to get to talk to him. I, I really do hope we can have him back again. 
Yeah. All right. We are almost ready to talk about the games we've been playing. Got some new stuff this oh, yeah. uh, this week. We got a game that you actually finished uh, last week and f- completely forgot to talk about on last week's podcast. Oops. I've been playing so many games, like just knocking them out. Like yeah. I haven't slept in months. Good no, for you. Kidding. I've definitely slept, but um, yeah, it's great. Uh, but first we're going to shout out our other sponsor, which is episode sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Oh, yeah. You know, we are huge HelloFresh fans. We have been eating, enjoying all the delicious meals. There's so many different options you can choose from. I love the seasonal meals, though. We're about to move into a new season, SEN. It's almost fall. Um, it's getting busy with with fall right around the corner. And I'm looking forward to some fall recipes. I'm like, I'm there for it. I know you're a summer person, but I'm looking You were telling it. me, like, I need to start getting my fall outfits ready. And it's still like, you know, 90 degrees. So <laughs> I, I didn't quite jive with that. But the fall food is something to uh, look forward to. Yeah, yeah. And it's so easy. There's so many options. It's delivered straight to your door. Um, everything is pre-portioned so you don't waste anything. Um, and it's really affordable as well. And I, I love that. Yeah, see, I'm still living in the moment with summer. And I I think it's making me a little bit lazy. So I'm like, grocery store. Doldrums? Oh, time for that. <laughs> Just get a HelloFresh going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, as you said, they have so many different recipes uh, popping on all the time. You can always feel like you're something eating something fresh, not getting stuck in a rut or anything. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50KitKrista and use code 50KitKrista for 50% off plus free shipping. I repeat, go to HelloFresh.com slash 50KitKrista and use code 50KitKrista for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. We will put the link right here and All also right. in the description below. Get your HelloFresh. Eat some delicious food. All right. Games we're playing, first things first, First this game that you just ghosted last week. I'm very upset with you. I'm upset with me We finished that episode. I'm like, wait a minute. What about this? I know. I was like, no, I forgot. Oh, so Uh, disappointed. The game is Venba. You have finished it. Tell us all about it. This game was so beautiful and such a a great, um, I don't know, such a great like palate cleanser type of game. You know, sometimes you need that between big games. This is a very approachable, you know, very like reasonably length game. Um, It's a game about a, it's like a narrative driven cooking game, which is a really interesting genre, but it's a game about a family from South India. They immigrate to Canada and they really tell their like family story and all of the challenges they face as an immigrant family um, through food. And it's super cool. You, you know, are, are shared the story a little at a time. And then you're the gameplay part of it is that you're cooking these really delicious looking South Indian dishes. And I really like the way they approach cooking. So instead of sort of like the overcooked or the cooking mama type of cooking game, it's almost like a puzzle cooking game where the recipe book that you get is like a little bit like destroyed so like the 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 idea is that you know you 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 moved here 
and the book got damaged. And so like parts of the recipe is not visible to you. So you're sort of doing some trial and error and, and you're failing sometimes to like get it right. And then you trial, trial and error your way to the final recipe. Um, so it's really great. And then the story really is very touching. You know, it starts with um, sort of the, the mom um, making the recipes and, and um, her son that she, that, that's, um, you know, really trying to navigate how to be both, you know, Canadian and, and Indian um, and growing up and, and dealing with that. And then it ends with the son sort of taking over and cooking those recipes. And yeah, I, I, I had this same experience because that was my family. Like my parents immigrated to the U.S. from China. I came to the U.S. when I was five. So I wasn't even born here. And I really found so many similarities in their experience navigating what it's like to come to a foreign country, leaving your entire family and support system behind, like so far away, the, the, you know, how sad that can be sometimes, how lonely. And also like my relationship with my mother, you know, I was trying to grapple with like, what is it like to be American and grow up here and, and have those experiences? But also her and I were trying to navigate that together. And we really did a lot of that through food. So it was really great because I finished playing this game and I had like a family dinner that night. So I went to my mom's house and I gave her a big hug and we had this big family dinner. And I was like, this is so cathartic. Um, so it really touched my heart. It's a beautiful game. I hope everyone picks it up and plays it. it it's really wonderful. And it makes you hungry, really hungry. For you played this on Switch, but I saw it's also on Game Pass. Yeah, That's it's on great. Game Pass. I played it on Switch. Um, but it, it's it's amazing. And again, you will want to eat afterwards. Yeah, the, the food part is is definitely intriguing, and that was what we saw when we went to that preview event. But I, I'm really interested at the chance to just get a window into this other culture that I honestly yeah. don't know that much about. Like, I, I really enjoy that. Obviously, you know, that's that's not a life that I have lived. But, you know, when in, in entertainment, you, they can really effectively pull that off. Like, I thought that the Ms. Marvel TV show did a great job of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a superhero story, but you're also seeing, you know, how these people from Pakistan live. Yeah. And it feels like this game has a really strong aspect of that, that that's mm -hmm. very intriguing to me. There's so many little details that really give you a glimpse into the culture. Um, you know, they, they worked with so many, like... Indian um, musicians, for example. So every time you cook, you turn the radio on and it's like an Indian musician. And it's like, this is the way that these families cook dinner. Like they listen to the radio, um, they make dinner, they have family meals. I mean, it's it's such a, a great, and, and the care that they put into sharing that experience is, is really wonderful. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right, we're going to keep going with the new games here. Some of the other stuff's getting a little dusty, if you know what I mean. Uh, you have started Diablo 4. As We said August discussed. is the month of Diablo. True to your word. As discussed, I wrapped up Final Fantasy 16 on the day that I told you I would beat it. And I started Diablo 4. And I'm I'm enjoying it very much so far. I've... I promised you that I would get to a place where the multiplayer opens up, which is not very far in the game at all, about an hour into the game, um, and that I would sort of hold my horses and wait for you a bit. Um, but yeah, I did all the the beginning stuff. You know, I picked my character. I'm very boring. I always go with Sorceress as my first character for a, a Diablo game. And then I usually like diversify and 
pick, you know, make another character. Are there any new classes in, in four? I don't think so. The classes are barbarian, sorceress, rogue, necromancer, and druid. Okay. Druid is not new. We've had no, Druid before. No, no. That, yeah, that was from um, the Diablo 2 expansion, I think. D- Diablo, put that's that right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I'm such a, I'm boring. I always pick the same character. It's just because I really like it. Like, I just I always, my first. Frozen Orb? Spam it? Uh, it's actually Frost Nova, but whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got that skill. I would never play that class. You I'm, never play I'm that I'm playing class. a barbarian. I'm naming him Guy Dudebro right away. Yes! <laughs> putting all my YouTube putting groups. all my points into strength. That's all I do. <laughs> Perfect. I need you as my shield. Perfect. This is this is why it works. This is why. Um, we also noted that some of our other friends are playing this game as well. So I've been trying to convince them to play some different classes. I think we have one person playing as a necromancer, and then I was trying to convince one of our other friends to play as like the druid class or something else, rogue. <laughs> I think in 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 all of my Diablo time, I've played as all the classes except sorcerer. I'm just not interested not in doing interested. that. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very um, interested. It's my favorite I'm class. Very interested. My favorite class. And it, this one is is really fun. So yeah, in the beginning, you like obviously you do the player, you know, create the character creation stuff. And then there's like some story stuff in the beginning. Man, this game is like those cutscenes are just like grisly though. I'm like, oh I'll be skipping oh. those immediately. Yeah, that you know, this the the villain for this game obviously is Lilith. We've seen that before in trailers, but like the way that she comes out of the the into your world is like disgusting. And then they do like weird stuff in the game that's just like it, it kind of like makes my skin crawl <laughs> a little bit. I'm like kind of gross. Yeah, out. it does seem like like Diablo 3 had so much backlash because of you know it was a bit more colorful, like they had that infamous thing with the rainbow that people freaked out over. Oh, yeah, no it one, seems like no they went out of their way to like quote correct. It is that grisly. dark, very grisly yeah. visually. But tell me, like, I, I didn't watch the marketing run up for this that closely. Like, what else is new? that we haven't seen before in this. Yeah. So I also was like semi paying attention to some of the trailer. I obviously saw the, like the announcement trailers and stuff like that. I mean, new stuff, obviously there's a, a brand new story, brand new villain. Um, you're totally right. They like, Oh, they corrected the other way. I, I don't mind the grizzly, honestly, because this is why I play this game. So I'm, I'm with, I'm with the people on that, but you start out in this like super snowy, like kind of like just, dismal place and you just feel like oh this is terrible like I can't believe I'm stuck here it's good and they make you feel like that um they do have a lot more of like those like world events um so I'm playing like the season they they give you two options you can play like seasonal or you can play like non-seasonal I don't know what it's called but the seasonal one is like it's like they have additional quests that you can do like they have the world events so which one are you doing seasonal okay yeah. Um, and you can change it anytime as well. And you can change your difficulty and everything like that. It's pretty easy to to toggle if you want to. But yeah, you basically like, it's almost like the mobile game where you, you do some of these seasonal things and you can get some additional rewards. I ran into a whole bunch of different like little world events, very similar to the mobile game, which I kind of like because... Since I'm waiting for you, I didn't advance the main story. So I just kind of like wandered around Um you comparing this to the mobile game is maybe not the most glowing endorsement. The mobile game was so good. I love the mobile game. It's a compliment. I, I, I do like this like more seasonal sort of approach that they have because it makes it feel like pretty fresh. You know, they're always changing it up and they tell you like what season you're in right now. Um, 
and there's like exclusive rewards and all that stuff. So that part felt like a little different, obviously, than past Diablo games that we've played before. Um, but like everything else, gameplay wise, you know, you do have like sort of this hub town that you get into and you can see other players there and all that stuff. Um, that's where you do like the, your main, you know, all your your main tasks. Um, and the, the game sort of opens up once you get there. But like the, the other things that you're doing are, are very similar to past Diablo games. You know, you're doing like the dungeon stuff. You're doing um, boss fights. Um, your skill tree looks very similar to past Diablo games. <laughs> you know, all of those skills that I love, you know, as a sorceress, Chain Lightning and Frost Nova and Teleport and all that stuff, like all there. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some like, adv- like button stuff that they've done to like make it like quality of life make it just a little bit easier for you but otherwise it feels like a diablo game and it feels it feels good do you think they could shrink this down and put it on the switch is that that version of diablo 3 is real good on the switch that version of diablo 3 is so good on switch um i don't know they do a lot of like real-time rendering because all the cutscenes is like of your actual oh, they show your character and all the equipment and stuff. So I think it's rendering in like real time, right? If it if it does that. I don't know. I'm not the technical person, but yeah, I mean all the cutscenes show your created customized character. I was like, oh I don't know, Switch can handle that, but maybe. I think they should try because I've been I haven't started yet and I've been thinking like gosh, like is there a platform if I if I get it on Xbox, is there a way I could use the cloud stuff to also play that on my Steam Deck? Like that that's the kind of game that I would like to have some versatility with. You want you want the versatility to play handheld? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I do. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. that wasn't super important to me. I, I'm playing it on PS5. Um, obviously, it looks fantastic and plays fantastic on PS5. Uh, so no complaints there. I'm perfectly happy having a, a big screen experience for Diablo. I used to play this game on PC. You know, you built a computer one time for, to play Diablo with me. So first and last time doing that. I know. Now you have so many options. It's great. I used to always play this game on PC. So gosh, I can't believe I'm playing it on a console. It's pretty interesting. But yeah. hurry up. Get your butt well, in gear. Well, we have so so the reason we're doing this episode remote is we're going on a trip this week. So I I I will start it, and I will just get to that point where we can do the multiplayer. But we've mm-hmm. got a bit of a, a layoff. Again, if you could bring it with you, that would be nice. Um, before we can properly like dig in online and play together. But like, yeah, I think you should get to. It's only like an hour into the game. So I know to, I will. I yeah. I need to finish. We'll just go. We'll just go right to Pik- Pikmin Four. So you told me I, I don't. Won't spoil no, 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 don't, don't don't start with these spoilers. Don't start. I said I won't spoil it here, but you told me. A shocking thing about Pikmin 4, which made me super happy that I'm not playing Pikmin 4. Because I don't think I can emotionally handle this game at all. I thought I couldn't handle it emotionally before. But after what you told me, I almost cried yesterday. I like how you're like fine playing Diablo where you're just like ripping things up to pieces. But you cannot cannot handle the savagery of Pikmin 4. Those things are demons from hell. Like I'm totally good to frost Nova the crap out of those. But <laughs> this game is is sweet, innocent creatures being, I don't know. I'm, I can't believe this is happening in Pikmin 4. I, I could not believe what you told me yesterday. I'm still reeling from this. Yeah, so I was I was doing a bit of research because like, hmm, I've heard this game is quite long. I, if my 
my initial number that I had heard going around was 30 hours. Then I started hearing from some people, oh, it took me 40 hours. So I was like, I need to just have a natural point where I can take a break from this game and, and check out some other things. So I was poking around online and I, fa- I found a great point, um, which seems like it's maybe two third ish through of the way. I was like, yes, this is a great natural point in the game to put it down. But I happened to glance upon some of the details of what happens there, and you didn't like it. I will not say what it is. I couldn't believe it. I will not say what it is. I just couldn't believe it. In this day and age, why would this be a, a, All right. a thing? Anyhow, I, I may get to that point where I can put it down tonight. I'm in. Um, I'm almost done with this fourth area, which is inside someone's house which is uh, very cool because all the other three so far have been outside. And this one has a lot of verticality up uh, going for it. So it's like, oh, there's a table. How do I get up on this table? And there's sort of these series of like fans that you can use to shoot yourself oh, around cool. or little little caves that you can find, like dig a hole to get up onto a countertop. And that, that, that probably gives you the best sense of perspective of all the stages so far because it's just like you can see all these human objects around. It's like, oh my gosh, um, I'm so I'm so tiny, um, and that's been fun. I've been doing more of that. Now that I've unlocked it, they're really having you do a lot more of these night missions because that's the way that you heal the people who've got the plant head thing going on. Um, I still don't really love those, but so far they've been pretty quick and, and not that hard, so it hasn't bothered me that much, but... I'm surprised at how many of those people you can rescue and find. I, I, I get the sense there's a lot more of them still. Um, I think, you know, depending on how much more I play, I'll probably just focus on the the really essential ones because that I don't I don't know. I'm not getting I'm not finding I'm getting that much out of it, and it's not the main way I want to play that game. I do love the that there's more like indoor areas for this game. I think that's such a cool. Yeah, a cool way to see the perspective of like how teeny you are. And it's just fun to navigate around an environment that's like very familiar, like a kitchen or like a like a living room or something like that. Um, so I do really, I, I like those a lot when I saw those in the trailer and stuff. And I, you know, I think that's really interesting. But Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. This may be my last uh, Pikmin 4 update for a little while, but I uh, really, really like that game a lot more than I expected to. Uh, let's get back to Final Fantasy because you finished it. This might be our final, yeah. our final, final fantasy check-in for a while. This is our final, final fantasy check-in. Um, I beat the game and moved on immediately to Diablo Four, but I absolutely loved Final Fantasy. I don't think that the story fell apart in the end. This is my conclusion from reading those reviews and getting really nervous. Like, no, I, I enjoyed it. Um, the story is definitely a bit on the generic side, and there's definitely some stuff towards the end where you're like, oh. This is why everything is happening. I guess this is a little bit teeny bit lazy after all the great, you know, political setup that the game does in the beginning. But I don't care. You know, at that point, I was like so invested in the heroes of the game and, you know, so invested in people's relationships that I was just like here for that. But um, yeah, I think this game was really good there it definitely left me feeling a couple of things one i don't know if i completely love the battle system in this game yeah i do i do prefer like more traditional final fantasy battle systems this one i think you noticed this too as you were playing through 
like some of those fights are very drawn out and they're, they're very like, they're very much a spectacle, you know, they, they do it on purpose for you to just like beat up on these people with your icon powers. I get that. They want you to have that like very grandiose, um, experience, but sometimes they were just a little much. This is my number one criticism of this game. I mean, the battle system is very good. Like it's fun Mm -hmm. to, it's fun to do. It's fun to switch between and use all those powers, but every battle feels like it's twice as long as it needs to be. And and that, and I'm talking about even just like the little grunt enemies that you find in the field too. Like if you were Clive and you're supposed to be this big, powerful guy, unlike anybody else in the world, I should not have to wail on these enemies as much as I do to take them out. And some of those boss fights, like they are really long. They are. Where it's like, you're doing combos and the life bars is like, like barely moving a pixel. Yeah. And even when you stagger them, you're like, okay, yeah. now I got it. Now I can really wail on them. And it, it does, it, it's pretty, it's kind of can be a bit of a slog. So there's again. a sense of fatigue that I, I feel with, with the battles. That's, that's kind of a shame um, because it is, it is fun to do. I think ultimately I like the battle system of seven remake better, where it I is like kind it of more of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And I like how that gave you more of a chance to interplay with the party members. Like you, you would always have some other people in your party in this game, but you never really felt like they were there fighting with you. They were just kind of standing around and occasionally something would happen, but it, Mm -hmm. it felt very solo to me. Yeah. It definitely feels like you're kind of on your own, even if you have like people in your party, um, because you're not, you're not really controlling like, you know, what those actions are, are. It's sort of like a little bit random, you know? Yeah, you can barely even, I mean, you can give Torgal some instructions, but that's kind of it. Yeah, Torgal is like the only party member that I would consider like a true partner in this game. Um, and I love that. I thought it was great that we had a character like Torgal to um, to sort of fight alongside you and be part of the story. Um, but yeah, I think, and even toward, and towards the end, for sure, some of those bosses were like, I, my my eyes would burn because I would not blink. And I like literally had like pain in my wrists and hands from like button pressing. You need an like, old school turbo controller where you just hold down the button. I literally had like like injuries after this game because I, like, I was like, my eyes were like watering because I didn't <laughs> blink for 35 minutes because I was doing this boss fight. It's crazy. Um so there was that, but overall I did, I did really enjoy like the icon powers and like that whole system. Yeah, I thought that it was really neat. interesting. It's fun. And it was like, it's, it, it's really cool when you go into like your ability screen and you can like customize all the different things, you know, put your points into what powers you want. And then you can like switch between all the different ones. And when you collect a new icon power, it was always such a cool, like dramatic part of the story as well. And so it just felt very significant. So I really, really like that a lot. And like, yeah, switching between it and, and like when you get the timing of all the icon powers just right during a fight, it felt very satisfying. So I did like that a lot. I was just about to ask you what three you you really like the most, but I think that's kind of a spoiler. I don't know. Maybe this will be our next spoiler cast. I don't know. Yeah. Got some stuff I, I to don't want to spoil it because it is part of the story. Um, but I do have three that I like the best. <laughs> um and the story was so was so good. Like again, I wasn't really like 
the overarching story, I know people had some complaints about it. And I agree there are some parts where it's like, okay. But the relationships, that was the part that made it really interesting. You know, you had all these people that you're meeting along the way. You, you're developing all these different relationships with them. You really see their motivations for what, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, obviously, there's, you know, a story between um, Clive and his brother and a love story between Clive and Jill. Like, there's just so many cool like little you know and and even like Clive and his uncle like I mean there's just like a lot of really cool relationships in the game that they do such a good job like fleshing out so it feels really significant and like you really get invested in these characters I was like very invested and I won't spoil the ending but I did not mind the ending I know people were like this is the worst ending ever I hate this ending like why Um, but I liked it I thought it was a I thought it was good I think that was a good way to wrap it up. And I have two other two other quick thoughts since we may not return to this game in the future. I think this is one of the best sounding games Ugh. I've experienced in a while. And, I, and I'm not just talking about the soundtrack, which is amazing. I ended up playing a lot of this game with headphones because like, they just got really great sound for everything that happens in that game. And like, they did. it made me think of like, gosh, a lot of other games are not going to this extent for sound design or really capturing the best possible sound, but it, it really did bring you into the world um, in a way that a lot of games don't. And I, I don't know if other games really need to go to that extent, but you can tell like they put a big focus on it. And I, and I thought it was great. I thought so too. I thought the sound design was really incredible. Like even like little thing, we were joking around. We're like, there's some very specific sound that they did with Clive and leather, leather pants, pants running. <laughs> Like, that's a very specific sound, but, like, it really, like, you, like, really felt like, yes, Clive is in leather pants running. Um, Yeah, there was some, there's a lot of, like, obviously there's a lot of crystals in this game. There's, like, a lot of that crystal sound effect that just felt so satisfying, like, that that shatter sound effect where it's, like, how do they do that and make it sound like, I have surround sound, too, and it was, like, amazing. Um, But, yeah, Torgal and his little doggy noises, gotta love that. Last thing I got to say, they really went too far with this Game of Thrones stuff. I got to a part (laughs) where somebody got shouted out for being a kinslayer, and I rolled my eyes so hard. Like, you cannot just lift the terminology, like, line for line and put it in this game. But that's what they did. across the narrow sea. Oh, my gosh. To go to the free cities. Free cities. Are you joking me? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Did they not think this was as blatant as it is? I don't know. I guess so. It's the other really thing that's egregious. Really, that's, it, it is pretty egregious, but I didn't mind it because I love Game of Thrones and I, I want to play a true Game of Thrones game. I think this might be. I think you just did. This is as close as I can get. Um, the other thing is, it is really interesting to see a Japanese studio take on this kind of theme. Um, There's some stuff in the game that I was like, Square Enix did this? Whoa. Like, it was pretty like. Yeah. I know. Like, yeah, I thought so too. It was, it was like they, they like went for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they really did. There was like some scenes in the game that I was like, okay, we're going there. All right. Interesting. You know, because I just, I cannot imagine like Square Enix 10 years ago going there. Oh, yeah. Like that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So I, I kind of, I, I got to give them credit for that. Yeah, like, they didn't I'm play really it safe in any, in any way safe. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they like truly like went for it, which I really appreciated. Yeah. But yes. Everything is great. Torgal is fine, as I noted, in doesthisdogdie.com. <laughs> I had to look that up. Torgal is 
MVP. Good to know. We're glad that he's okay. That's my just like Ochi's the MVP of Pikmin Four. Big year for dogs. Don't talk about Ochi right now. Um, last thing, real quick. So Gene mentioned uh, the Hong Kong massacre. And I had to check that out because I was so intrigued. So I got it. Oh, nice. I did get that that weird sale that he was talking about. Yeah. Which I don't think is still happening now. But if you buy the game itself, it was like $20. But they had a bundle of that with one of their other games, which was like $3. So I really looked at that closely. I was like, what kind of scam is this? But I just bought it and it was $3. (laughs) Uh, Didn't look at the other game yet. But this is a cool game. So yeah, this is very much in the vein of, of Hotline Miami. It is a bit more um, gunplay focus, where Hotline Miami has some some melee stuff too. Um, another game in this genre that I love and recommend to anybody is Mr. Shifty, where you're basically, it's a top-down game, but you're basically Nightcrawler from the X-Men, and you can teleport around and, and punch people. Um, but this is very like dark, grimy, Hong Kong like police stuff. And it's fun. I mean, it, it's quite challenging. Like, it's it's one-hit kills with, with guns. So there's a lot of times you're just, like, restarting, restarting, restarting to try and figure it out. But you can sort of slow down time. Um, you can get a lot of different weapons from your enemies. You do really need to be strategic and kind of plan out, like, how am I tackling this? Because there's one of me and there's, like, six of them. And if I get hit at all, it's over. So I can see where that John Wick inspiration came from. It's sort of a strange... You know, you know, not not many people know about this game, but um, I liked it, so I, I'm glad I, I checked it out. Cool, cool that Gene shared that recommendation. Also, it's one dollar fifty, so <laughs> it was very cheap. That but but I think it's back that. to full price now, so oh, shouldn't okay. say that. Yes, it's crazy. What a yeah. great deal! Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got some fresh blood in the games, and uh, let's get into the news now. Something that is happening at kind of a weird time for us is this Pokemon Presents, which is happening on the 8th, which is Tuesday. We're recording this before then. Um, And the podcast is going to be out before uh, it happens. So maybe we can just throw out a quick little prediction here in case anybody has uh, a big idea of what might happen. Oh boy. What's going to happen? I don't actually... You know, it's been weird for me for with Pokemon recently because I feel like they are so diverse now with all of the stuff they're doing. It's it's a little hard to to pin down what um what the next thing is. You know, they've they've talked a lot about that DLC. Um, Still don't have da- a date for that though. So maybe a, I was just gonna say maybe a date yeah, for that they, they or gotta do that. anything else around there that they haven't shared. I feel I've been talking about it for a long time. Like so. Hopefully there, there's nothing more there, but yeah, yeah. it would be good. Yeah, you know, they, they have to, there's so much that they have to touch about. So we got, we've got to do the update for Pokemon Unite. Now we've got Pokemon Sleep. It's like all these other little things that yeah. they just have to talk about. So exactly. it's, I think they've said it's like 35 minutes, which sounds long, but when you think of all the stuff that they just need to cover off on, mm-hmm. and you get, you know, 10 minutes of the, the hot, um, uh, CFO talking and so oh, on. He's so hot. I'm, exactly. I'm watching so just for he that. Needs, he needs some screen time. So yeah, my, my expectations are super low. Maybe my, my kind of dream is like, get those old games onto NSO. Just do that. Yeah, we've been predicting the that for a long time. Like, when is it going to happen? It seems like such an easy, an easy thing, but who knows? They're, they're a little kooky over there yeah. with, with the, the old games and all that stuff. Um, uh, Detective Pikachu. I don't know if we get any more info on that. Yeah. I know there was like some 
limited stuff shared during that direct. Um, but as far yeah, as like, that, oh, a whole new new Pokemon game, like I, I, I don't think I don't so. Think so. I don't think there's a time for that. I really do hope they take a little break from like yeah. next mainline. So yeah, they should. I, I hope that they're just kind of focusing on that and and giving themselves a bit of a break. And yeah, um, yeah I don't know if there's any other, you know, any other things for like the little things you were talking about, like Pokemon Sleep. There's a lot of people that are quite enjoying Pokemon Sleep. So sounds. Like are you gonna do it? I love the idea of having my phone. I am absolutely not doing that. I sleep. <laughs> I've I've so. I've seen a lot of articles because now this is like you know a big thing is like sleep tracking. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of people say that th- people get so wrapped up in that that, they that it sleep? actually makes you sleep worse because you're thinking about it a lot more of like oh I need to like maximize the results that I'm going to see the next day so it actually yeah. hurts your sleep and I'm, I'm somebody who sleeps really well already so I'm like I don't yeah. want to mess that up. Yeah, no, I I think, gosh, I we're we're both really lucky. We don't have any like sleep issues. I think, um, but yeah, it sounds like stressful if you're just worrying about your sleep quality and then that causes you to have less sleep. Like that's kind of that's kind of bad. Yeah, pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, my expectations are pretty low as well. Um, I'm thinking we just get some little updates to things that they've already announced. So. Yeah. All right, uh, Nintendo has put out some of its Q1 financial, of course, Q1 for the fiscal year. Yes. Uh, which is uh, A, uh, what is it? A, uh, AMJ, as they say? AMJ. AMJ. April, May, June. Yes. April, May, yes. Okay. And uh, we got some some impor- interesting updates on sales numbers. So just run through these. Switch is now at 129 million sold which puts it about 25 million units behind the PS2. Oof. Um, and now the top five selling Switch games of all time, Mario Kart 8 at 55 million. It's like, is that a real number? Oh, man. Oh, that my is gosh. so crazy. Animal Crossing at 42. Wow. Smash at almost 32. Breath of the Wild has passed 30. And then Mario Odyssey is at 26. And mm-hmm. the big thing that people were waiting to see is, well, what is Tears of the Kingdom at? So that is at 18 and a half million, which is a huge number considering this doesn't, I mean, this, again, this only covers like a month and a half after the game came out. Yeah. Yeah. And we were predicting a little while ago, if we think Tears of the Kingdom is going to surpass Breath of the Wild, certainly looks like it's on track to do that. If this is only two months of sales and they're already past the halfway point. Um, but let's see if it falls off at all. If there is sort of a, a bigger drop off than, than you know, than we've yeah. Again, we, there's so much uncertainty, and now the rumors are swirling about the Switch Two and True. when that might come out. You know, one thing. Um, I mean, this this is mostly pertaining to hardware, but it could pertain to software too. Is like Nintendo's never done a price cut on the mm-hmm. Switch. You know, they put out a lower priced Switch Lite. Right. So now they have kind of a high, medium, and low option. Um, I'm not sure they are ever going to drop the price on the Switch. I don't think they are. And I wonder what that means for the price of the next hardware. Right. You know? I think and it can just it, roll right into that. Roll right into that. And if it's going to be significantly more or around the same, like you got to think about how you want to do that transition. So it right. should be interesting to watch for sure. Do you think it can catch the PS2 at what would be about like 145? Ooh, we're getting close. That's a to lot. Uh, getting kind of close to the end of the life cycle, especially with the Switch 2 rumors. So I don't know. I think it might 
just eat, be like right under. It seems yeah. like it'd be pretty tough th- to do that at this point. I think it's possible, even though we did an, an entire uh, podcast episode, I think about a year ago, where it was like, this will never happen. Uh, I'm, I'm open to revising that now. I think it would, it would, it, it's going to take time. It probably would happen like after the successor comes out and it kind of just like dribbles over. Yeah, maybe. Um, but looking at these sales numbers, I remember in the Wii and DS days, like they, that's also when like games would sell like 30 million. And I was like, man, these, these numbers are like made up numbers. Like we'll never see games um, on a Nintendo platform that sell like this. And we certainly didn't in the following generation, but mm-hmm. 55 million for Mario Kart. And then you add on, you know, whatever it had on the Wii U. That's absurd. I was going to say the the crazy thing about the Mario Kart number is it's not even a new game on Switch. <laughs> that is the most like ridiculous money making scheme I've ever heard in my life. Where you just like slightly update it, you know, and sure you you did some things to it, but it's not a net new game, um, and it's the top selling game on this in this entire hardware generation. Like that's crazy. Um, it just goes to show the power of a game like Mario Kart. And yeah, it, it bodes well, I think, um, for the prediction of like, hopefully we'll get Mario Kart 9 as the launch title for the next yeah. Switch. Because they can see, the numbers do not lie here. You will make a lot of money. Like, that's a, pretty much a given. You know what I mean? So yeah, that that's really, that's truly incredible. Um yeah, glad to see that uh, Animal Crossing still continues to dominate as well. I know that that was sort of like a lightning in a bottle, like sort of circumstantial kind of thing. But look at it. Look at it continue to go. Like that's it's pretty awesome. Um, people who can do math, so not you, have pointed no. out that the decision to price Tears of the Kingdom at 70 and not $60 made Nintendo $180 million. Which, <laughs> I mean, at that volume, like that's a really significant um, addition to what you're getting on it. Again, nobody will ever know like what the actual budget of that was. I'm sure they're well, well, well past it uh, with what they've made so far. So yeah, yeah. All, all of these games are just like, this is all just pure profit for Nintendo at this point. I hope everybody gets a raise. Special Nintendo. bonus. They can do the special bonus. <laughs> yes, they used to do the special bonus and it was always fun. Um, I think they deserve to do it for their employees. Do it while sure. you can. Exactly. Do it while you can. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they're good about that. They're good about the special bonus when yes. they can. So yes. I, I really hope that they, they reward their, the hard work of all of the employees there. Yeah. Um, quick uh, Xbox story before we get back to another Nintendo story. So Xbox put out a story uh, on their sort of blog talking about what they're doing at Gamescom because they're going to be at Gamescom. Gamescom this year feels a little bit later. It's kind of lining right up with PAX. So kind of interesting for, you know, some media folks might need to pick and choose which one of those they're going to or sort of split up people. Um, So they have said that they are going to, it seems like a lot of their stuff is going to be hands-off. You know, they did say that they're going to have like 150 stations where you can play a lot of games, but they have a big theater. And I think that was a big question was, this is right before Starfield comes out. Can people play Starfield? Well, the answer is no. They're going to have a big theater for it where you can see that. And Forza sound like the main things um, Mm -hmm. that people are going to see. And it sounds like they're also going to have a stream that sounds very much like, like Treehouse Live. I think it makes sense. Like Starfield sounds like a tough game to demo 
at, yeah. a, at a show like that. And I'm sure there's a lot of cool stuff they can do in a theater. So I, I don't think this is a bad thing. I don't think it doesn't make me worried about the game. I think it makes sense. Yeah, sometimes with these big games, it is so hard to have like a good experience and get a good sense of that when you're in a show um, environment like that. So they always do a great job with production around like big titles like this. Um, interesting that they're doing sort of a Treehouse Live uh, live stream. Um, it seems like, you know, Nintendo has really like sort of solidified how people do these things like from direct to treehouse live um that's kind of how everyone does these kinds of things now so yeah i think that's just like what we're i think what we're all used to and how we are used to consuming game information now so that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah jeff Keeley's also doing his gamescom thing that he's done for a couple years now um the rumor mill, though, seems to think there's something big happening with a potential Switch 2 reveal. We're going to do a whole video on that uh, once we get back from this special assignment that we're on. Uh, and we're going to make a bold proclamation and also put put ourselves on the line. There's some stakes. There are stakes, stakes to this. Yeah, high where stakes. If something happens, we will do something else. Something embarrassing right. and and uh, horrific. Right. So. I don't know about horrific. Jeez. Well, one of, <laughs> I will one make of you play Pikmin. <laughs> That's oh, what no. it's going to be. Oh, no. Um, because, yeah, we have strong feelings about what is or isn't going to happen for Nintendo uh, around Gamescom. But, yes. uh, yeah, that'll, that'll probably be out in about a, a week's time or so. Last here, very interesting story. So there was this oh, game that came out on the eShop called uh, The Last Hope Dead Zone Survival which got people talking because the key art for it looks exactly like the last of us. Um, I think digital foundry said it was one of the worst, if not the worst games they had ever evaluated. Oh my God. Um, people have said that the game is like 15 minutes long. So it is really just like kind of a, a really it's like a troll cheap cash in on people thinking like, Oh, it's the last of us. Uh, so this game is now gone. It has vanished from the eShop, all the trailers are gone, any trace of this game is gone. Some of the stories that I've seen on this have said that um, PlayStation pulled a copyright claim. I I haven't seen a lot of substantiation for that. Mm -hmm. That may very well be what's happened, but I, there's nothing like public confirming that. But I'm a bit surprised that this game slipped through in the first place. The We're going to put the artwork here because it's unreal how this is just a dirty thing to do. You know what I mean? It's like we were talking about like that. This is what cow. happens on the phone, not on a, you know, a console or a, a proper console. storefront yeah. like this. What's kind of like kind of evaluation? Did, who let this game through? Okay. That's my question. But like, yeah, there's just some, there's a couple of things that just make you feel icky where it's just like blatant copycat, you know? And, and this one I think is the, is the worst offender. So that I've ever seen really, um, and yeah, I hope people didn't like fall for it and lose their money because that's that's just dirty. That's not good to do that, you know. So I'm glad that it's it's gone now, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, eShop e gems such as AAA Clock would never uh, stoop this low. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, all these storefronts just need to come up with some sort of a solution. I mean, there's so many games that are coming there through. Are. It's yeah. hard to have an actual person, you know manually review of the details of everything, yeah. but they need something a little bit more 
than what they have now because this stuff looks bad. I don't blame PlayStation if, if they're angry about this or if they had to take some legal action or at a minimum, yeah. you know, kind of like the, the Steam thing with Dolphin, just like call Nintendo and be like, what, what's going on here? Are you what's crazy? Take this, this down. Because yeah. um, this looks bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know what that solution is. That's that's been, This has been an issue for a while, you know, especially on Steam where there's even more games. But yeah, they, they should prioritize this because this just looks bad. It does. And it's just really unfair to your customers. Yeah. All around. Bad luck. All right. Let's get into questions from our community. Each and every question we get is from our Patreon subscribers. First up today, we have who is Bowser's Ju- Bowser Jr.'s mom asks, dear Kit and Krista, what kind of controller do you like to use? And there's a visual with this as well. So take a look. Something with a potent, quote, grip arousal. It's a term I'd never heard before, but I like. Uh, Towards the right here, or something more with a sedate grip towards the left. Also, what stick layout do you both prefer? The Cube, Xbox, Switch, non-symmetrical, or PlayStation Symmetry? Mm. One of the very first videos we did on this channel was our favorite controllers. Yeah. So you might have something to say about that. Yeah, yeah. We also did, like, I think top best and worst, right, controllers? That was the video. (laughs) Oh, okay. It's the same video. Okay. I was like, wait, didn't we do one that was like also the ones that we don't like? Um, I would say, so my favorite controller right now is still the PlayStation controller, the PlayStation 5 controller. Dual Sense. Dual Sense. Um, You love getting three hours of battery life. No, I was just going to say, my new charging dock that I got has changed my life because now I just dock that thing after every gameplay sesh and I have no problems at all with my battery life. I, the battery I will admit is kind of iffy, but um, I love the feel of that controller. I guess that means that I like a more potent grip arousal and I like a more symmetrical um, stick layout. Bring back the PlayStation three prototype Batarang controller. No. <laughs> I was Don't. wondering like, what, but what would that What's be like? Point that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am a bit more kind of down the middle with this. Like some of my favorite controllers, like I really love the Switch Pro controller. Mm -hmm. It's a bit boring in terms of the layout, but it it feels good. Um, The Xbox 360 controller, which is basically what Xbox has used in, you know, all the generations um, forward. I really love that. So I think I'm kind of in the middle as, as far as the grip. I think too little or too much can get a little bit in the way. Mm hmm. As for the sticks, I'm the opposite of you. I think the asymmetrical just feels a little bit better for me for whatever reason. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember, and the one that I really didn't like, the, the sticks, was the Wii U Pro Controller, which is kind of right on the middle. Uh, it's exactly in the middle of this graphic here, where on the PlayStation, the, the sticks are, are kind of down more, but on this yeah. one, the sticks were up and it just felt really weird. Hard to reach. It, it, yeah, it was just a weird layout. And I, I did not like that one very mm-hmm. much at all. You know, something else that's a, um, a person, a, a matter of preference when it comes to controllers is like the, the button feel. Yeah. Um, the I reason, think. the reason I like the switch controls, I, I like the button feel of that. Um, whereas the, the current Xbox controllers, I like the feel of them. I do not like how clicky those buttons are. It's, it's very mm-hmm. loud to just play a game with that controller. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I like the um, the Pro Controller quite a lot as well. I think that's probably my next favorite one out of the bunch. Um, but yeah, I agree that the way that the buttons 
feel when you press them is very important. Um, also, the trigger buttons are important to me because I have a tiny hand and I need to be able to reach things and not feel like fatigue, especially when you're playing Final Fantasy 16 and you're in a 45 minute boss battle that we have blinked for an hour. Um, you need like all of those things to work uh, to work on a controller. So. I was surprised. So, so for the uh, eShop video, I did let you hold the Steam Deck because one of the games is not out yet on the eShop. So we played it on the Steam Deck. And I was surprised that you actually, it felt okay in your hands. Yeah, I don't know how long I could hold it for, though, because it's quite heavy. It's heavy. But I could reach I could reach the sticks, though. I was like, That was my okay concern because the sticks are a bit set in. I was like, I don't know if she could reach that. Yeah, I know. That's, that, that is a problem for me when I have controllers where I can't reach things. It, it's a, it gets a little tricky. Yeah, yeah. Cerulean Dragons next. Hey, Kit and Krista, wanted to get your thoughts on the industry's move toward open world games. More franchises keep moving in this direction, whether for better, such as Elden Ring, or for worse, such as Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Then you have games like Final Fantasy 16 that felt the need to justify why their game was not open world in their marketing run-up, as if they preemptively were terrified it would be poorly received just for being a more linear experience. It feels like this industry-wide push that open world equals good and linear equals bad, and it's getting a bit exhausting. Curious to hear your perspectives. Thanks. I love this question because I've been thinking about this myself a lot, especially as we are like just deep in this era of huge games where we are having trouble keeping up with. And I, I was wondering myself, like, when did this happen where the quality of the game is very much linked to the size of the game. And we hear stuff all the time. We were, we were talking about this earlier um, where people are saying, oh yeah, you know, a triple A game is a 10 year plus development cycle. Um, it just feels like there's some weird link between, um, you know, a game being a triple A title and it being massive. And there was that aw awful article that ran in, um, PC Gamer for Ratchet and Clank when it came to PC, they were like, this is a fun game, but it's only 10 hours long, so we're not sure we can recommend it. Get out of here with that. Yeah, I do. I very much do not agree with this perception of games needing to be hundreds plus hours with a ridiculously huge open world to be considered a AAA title. I think that's really bad for the industry because there's no way development studios can keep up with that kind of that kind of bar that that is weirdly set for no reason. Um, and, and then you lose out on some really incredible experiences that might be a more concise experience or might be a different kind of experience. You know, we were just talking about Vemba, two and a half hour game, top of the list, you know, so it doesn't have to be like this. I don't know how I, it got this way. I think the good news here is history has shown, you know, the industry will often chase a trend. But those trends do not mean like this is how it is forever going forward. Like I yeah. remember not that long ago, maybe like five, six years ago, companies like EA were saying like, yeah, we're not even putting any time into single player games because that's the old way. Every game is going to have a multiplayer first approach. And look at that now. Like basically all these PlayStation prestige games are single player games. Like they don't even right. have a multiplayer mode. So I think this is just the thing now. And I think part of it is, you know, 
companies still trying to catch up to Breath of the Wild, but there have been a lot of other big examples. I mean, really back to like Grand Theft Auto, which was, you know, Grand Theft Auto 3 was the one that sort of set us on this path. Um, I agree, like there's going to be some real like crash and burn situations where people, you know, invest so much money into making this giant game and it's either not going to work out or people are going to be too busy playing all these other giant games that nobody's going to be able to pay attention. Um, I, I do think this is, one of those trends that will will run its course and things will will even out, but it 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 certainly feels uh, not not great when we're trying to navigate it now. Yeah, I really hope that there is more of a focus on just a variety of experiences, and I, I hope that people are not judging a game based on size and length because that's that's just not a real metric to judge whether a game is good or not. Yeah. Ninja11 asks, Hi, Kit and Krista, I have a bit of a spicy question. What's the game you feel the worst about having to have worked on due to the quality of the game? Most games Nintendo make are great, but they aren't without their Star Fox Zeros, bad Mario sports games, and whatever Amiibo Festival was. Which of the notoriously bad games did you feel the most guilt about selling to fans? We were so lucky at Nintendo because every game was such top quality and then you would hear these stories from other publishers and and other companies where they they you know they do have like yeah the rest of the industry is not like this yeah legit quality problems i mean you have probably had had many with that yeah konami um and namco maybe (laughs) where there's just like oh this you know know, this is bad you know this is bad Yeah. yeah I think for me personally, the two games I would put on this list is Codename Steam, which we've talked about a little bit. I wouldn't say that game was poor in terms of like quality, as in like it wasn't like buggy or anything like that, but it just wasn't great. And like the amount of marketing that we did for that game and sort of like pressure we felt. Yeah, and trying to convince people that it was great was like kind of like it didn't feel good. Um, And the other one I think on this list, is uh, definitely Amiibo Festival. That game, uh, that game was so bad and so lazy. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really love working on that one. It well, you could sort like, of tell what they were going for with that. It was like, okay, we're growing this brand with Animal Crossing, but the main games take a super long time to make. So yeah, let's so have, have some have smaller interim. games in yeah. between to just keep people into it. And so that's where you also had Happy Home Designer, which was better than Amiibo Festival, but but still mm-hmm. not, you know, as good as the main games. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Ami- was Amiibo okay. Festival was just a, a whiff. And then we were stuck with all those Amiibo forever that like years later we were still trying to sell. Sell the Amiibo. That was so, so bad. Yeah. I will say two other things. Not that they were bad, but I just thought that the way that we tried to do this was like really flawed, which is like the NES and the SNES mini campaigns that we did. Like those are good systems. Like those are really cool systems. We just didn't have enough. Yeah, that's a different And it just sucked for people because we would be like talking about it and it would just immediately sell out. So it's like, well, what's the freaking point of it? And a lot of the Amiibo of that era too. It was just like, you can't get it. Don't worry. Yeah. So it's like, I don't understand why we're doing, we should do nothing because you're giving people a terrible experience. They are frustrated. They can't get this. Um, Why did we make this? You know, like it just felt, it felt like just a bad, you know, you're going into such a bad experience for the the consumer. Yeah. My, my pick, which is, is based on like the amount of disappointment that I felt 
as a fan with the the end result based on what it could have been was it's Star Fox Zero. Yeah. Because I mean, you hear what's oh, it's all right. Mr. Miyamoto's really involved in this. We got platinum games. Like we're, we're, we're trying something pretty new and different with this control scheme. And in the end, it just didn't work. And it, I I mean, it's, it's almost unplayable. Um, unless, unless you have like a Mensa IQ, to, to or multitask you have to like have that, multiplayer or, or if you do it in multiplayer, yeah, you literally—I could not do it unless I did it yeah. in multiplayer. So I—I I mean, I felt real. really like energized. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be great." We're, we're Star Fox is back, and it so wasn't back, oh. uh, and it hurt. So it's—it's yeah. it's certainly not the worst game that I ever worked on, but it's the one yeah. that that hurt me the most. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Tuscoob asks to you, "What is the ideal size for a party that you can bring into battle in an RPG?" Three, like Dragon Quest II, Final Fantasy VII, Xenoblade One and Two, and Chrono Trigger. Four, like Final Fantasy VI, Persona Five, and Dragon Quest XI. Five, like Final Fantasy IV and Lunar. Six, like Xenoblade Three and Pokemon. Where does it feel to you like you have enough slots for everyone you want, and where does it start to feel too much? Thanks for your insight. A very definitive four. I like an even number. I feel like anything more than four, you're just like really trying to multitask a lot of your party members and it can become very challenging. Like the Xenoblade three, six people, like I had a hard time like switching yeah. between all of them and like keeping track of who's doing what and when. I just felt like I was just fumbling my way through it. Four, I think it's perfect. You know, you can have a nice range of characters, different skills. You can get your healer, your your DPS person, like all that stuff all arranged nicely. So four is my answer. That, that is my answer as well. That That is the sweet spot. Um, you know, Pokemon's here listed as six. I would actually say that that's closer to one. I mean, you do have six that you can switch between, but the battles, it's like, it's one-on-one. Yeah. So, which I actually like it more in Pokemon when it's those group battles, because mm-hmm. I feel like that gives a bit more strategic variety instead of just, all right, now we're just going, tra- we're just trading blows. Clearly, yeah. I'm very bad at Pokemon. Um, you are very bad at Pokemon. <laughs> you, you, I, I refuse to play competitive Pokemon because I because you're bad at it. It, it upsets me. But um, yeah, any any game where it's like there's just one, which again goes back to what we were saying about Final Fantasy um, 16. It felt like one, and I want like that's such a great thing about these RPGs is feeling like you're in a group and having people that complement each other That's and using that to your advantage strategically and in fun ways. I yeah. never want to miss out of that. Four. Yeah, I like the different classes that you yes. do. That's the best part when you have a great balance of classes. Everyone has their role. That feels good. It feels yeah. so satisfying that way. Yeah. Zroid asks, hello, Kit and Krista. How do you feel about motion capture used in video games? Do you think it improves the player's experience or do you feel like games lose some of their charm when characters are not animated by well animators? Personally, I often feel that motion capture creates an uncanny valley where problem where too realistic movement is imposed upon CG character models. Face cap, facial capture in particular gives me the heebie-jeebies. Ooh, this is a good question because I feel like it can go two ways. I remember my first experience with like really intense motion capture was in that um, game uh, L.A. Noir. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah. And the, those, that, we were also watching Mad Men right. at the time, Right, specifically remember? the faces, yeah. And, yeah, oh, the, the game, 
the gameplay mechanic depends on you like really reading the faces and understanding like who's lying and not. But I was like creeped out by it. And also because the actor, I was watching him in another TV show, like Aaron, what whatever his name is. And like seeing him like rendered in CG in that like detail and then seeing him in real life, I was just like, this is, this is not right. This feels weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think some it did work for that game. I love L.A. Noir. Um, I thought it was amazing, and because it was a game based on like reading people's faces, I can see why they went the CG motion capture route. But I agree. I think there there are some points where it just feels odd, um, and it just kind of takes you out of the experience, or you're just too invested in that real person too much to like separate separate yourself from like reality and and in in the game like Keanu Reeves and Cyberpunk is one that I'm like eh. yeah I think as long as it's a game that's sort of grounded in reality I, it doesn't bother me that much like I would never want a motion captured Mario game that sounds terrible oh. um but I am very okay. intrigued by this this like whole new performance capture not just motion capture where sure. they're basically acting the scenes out like God of War is probably the latest example that, yeah, that did that. And it's obviously that. a huge investment um, to do a game like that, but it, it is, it, I mean, that's a great part of that game and makes a big difference and you can tell enhances the performance of those actors. So not every game can do that. Um, there are some games, I don't know if they're using different technology or what, but when I see the faces, like, I do get a little bit weirded out. I think it's uh, like some of the ones that um, the Mortal Kombat studio, NetherRealm, I think it was the last um, Injustice game with the DC characters where it's like, I don't know what's going on with these faces, but I'm not, it looks too realistic. I don't know if I like yeah. it. Yeah, It takes you out of the experience because it's yeah. such a, like a fantasy or like it's not re- reality. Right. So that's kind of an interesting line for these developers to walk. Yeah. Viridian has our last question. Kitten Krista I'm wondering if you've ever disliked hearing yourself speak or watching yourself in videos. Personally, both are true for me. Is this something you encountered when first beginning Nintendo Minute? If so, do you feel you overcame it through creating many videos over the years, or do you still perhaps feel this way today? Sometimes when I do listen to the sound of my own voice, I like cringe. Still? Like, oh, so annoying. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so far beyond this. You're so far beyond yeah, this. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Yeah, um, it definitely was weird in the beginning, you know, especially when you just like do it for the first time. You're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I sound like this. Um, But yeah, it's gotten way easier over time for Nintendo Minute for a long time. I I always had a hard time like watching myself, you know, in the beginning. But then I then it got better. And now that I'm editing all of our videos, like you really have to just like be okay with it because yeah. you're editing it. It's like, it's such so many hours of you listening to yourself and, and you know, kit, but yeah, yeah it, it, it kind of forces you out of feeling weird about it. But I definitely sometimes say I'm like, Oh, weird. There must be something about human nature where, cause I don't know anybody who like the first couple times they see or hear themselves, they have that reaction. Yeah. It's like our, our brains are not meant to see ourselves that way. Exactly. And you know, the other creepy thing that I was thinking about that someone told me recently is that you've never seen your own face Mm. because you've only seen yourself in a mirror and you've only seen yourself. in. Who's playing these mind games with you? I don't know. People. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so you've never seen your own face. And I think that's why people have like dysmorphia because they're like, I actually don't know how other people can't believe see it. me. Can't believe yeah. what you see. Yeah. Mm. Like you're the, the way that you look at yourself in the mirror is not reality. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, what do I actually look like? What do I actually sound like? That's like a weird human thing that we actually don't yeah. know about ourselves. So that's kind of kind of creepy honestly i'm so over this so like th- sometimes when we're recording i'll i'll make a note in my mind of like oh, i didn't really i stumbled over some words or i didn't do the best job of, of saying that and then i go back and, and watch or listen to like it's fine so it's yeah. like I, yeah yeah sometimes the words escape me when i'm trying to like say something and then i use like a completely wrong vocabulary right. word or like a word that just doesn't exist because yeah. i'm just trying to like get well, it we out. just expect that from you now Oh, I'm, make up my, I'm just going to start making up my own language. There you go. <laughs> Do this in pig Latin. I'm speaking in Christopian. It's a new language. Oh, I made. perfect. Yeah. Christopian. Yes. All right. Those are all of our questions. Thank you very much for everybody who sent those in. Yes. Thank you. Now it's time to shout out our Patreon superstars. What a wonderful group. Go. Yes, I miss uh, producer Steffi because she helped out with this last week. Uh, that uh, <laughs> that was kind of hard for me. I'm, gl- I'm glad we're back to the two of us. Okay, okay, here we go. Superstars, Aaron Hash. Ben Eichhorn. Maru Mayhem. Eigenverse. Kiss My Flapjack. Mike Chin. Mr. Rogers. Roy Eschke. Switching it up, underscore. Safazon. The Shark, Among Men. VGM Life. Link, the hero of winds. Angela Bycroft and her pig Molly. Turbocharge Nerd. Thomas O'Rourke. Kyle LaBeouf. Christopher Lara. Simon. Frederick Ulf Conradson. Andrew Juhas. And Chili. Wahoo! Beautiful, wonderful superstar. I did en- I did enjoy hearing a proper pronunciation of Maru Mayhem, though. That was that was a treat for Maru me. Maru Mayhem! <laughs> <laughs> I love Maru Mayhem. Anyways, uh, one-up club graduation ceremony. Here we go. A. Ron Burgundy. Adam and Ansley. Ali Ali Alejandro. Alexander Pratt. Astro Dev. Bad Moon Horizon. Benji B. Bookum Dano. Brad SF56. Brooke Obscura. Brookie Kazooie. Brewstash. Chili Squirrel. Christopher Lay. Captain Alex. Crim Cat. Sea Roper 17. Daniel Cold. Dachshund. Dolce. Dino Punch. Elite Peach. Esperts 50. Fart Priest 69. Furbound. Fernie and Jess Forever. Fox Deploy. Fred Rossi. Garrett Hoffish. Garth the Wolf. Gartooth. G-Sun 101. Ian Chia. Iris Marin. Jay Rando. Jabroni Jones. Jeffrey Hernandez. Jerry 92602. Jesse Hernandez. John Responte. Jonathan Rowe. Jordan Collette. Jordan Hemmerly. Joseph DeHaze. Joshua Clements. Juji Fruit. Just Camtro. Justin Leminger. Cairo Trigger. Kawa2796. Keith Kwan. Kelp Shake. Kevin Delane. Kilo Kibo. Chris Yu. Christopia Party With Me. Kyle Gamer Barry Rookie. Kyle Kretzer. Tyler Nelson. Linnell Stickman. Lennis Sullivan. Lit. Luminous. Mad Dog5981. Marky Man64. Mecha Dragon 101. Megan. Michael Cravens. Mikey. Motomania. Mr. Andy Pong. Mr. Beans and Dip. MSN Pocket Gamer. My Tran. Nasir. Nathan Burkhart. Nick E. Ninja Eleven. Panda Buns. Pangy. Paul C. Face. Paul Gale Network. Prime Factor. Prince Charmless. 
Raver. Rain Tech. Renee Rivers. Ryeth One. RJ Kern. Rob Osborne. Rocks. Rianetta. Sam Newland. Sharif Jackson. Shinryu. Slowbro. Silly Ferret. SJ Sharky Triple Seven. Snozzle. Spicy Munchkin. Steals a Trone. Tales of Link. Terra Storm. Thomas Alvarez. Three Rivers. Topher Schmofer. Travis Torline. Tugs Puppy Bear. Tusku. Tyler Geis. Vezvez. Video Game Stupid. Viridian. Virtual Bot. Weeb Kingdom. Wicked Davy. Will Johnson. Zudaverf. Zalgaroth. Zapati. And Zoroid. Oh, I really like Snozzle. Snozzle and Pangy are in a neck and neck battle for my heart for the funnest uh, name to say. Snozzle. Snozzle. Pangy. <laughs> 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 it's the best. Oh, boy. What? A fabulous episode. Thank you again to the wonderful Gene Park for just enlightening us on all the things. He's the best. Um, next week, you'll be puking. So that's going to be exciting. Remember to tune in. And of course, support us on patreon.com slash Kit and Krista to keep all of this going. Indeed. And if you're watching on video, you can go ahead and subscribe to this channel. Give this video a thumbs up and leave us a comment for us to read. And if you're listening on audio, you can also subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and also a written review. Thank you. Yes, we are on the socials. We are on Twitter, X, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and Threads. Woohoo! We made it. We did. All right, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.